Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! No fear here on Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, from the bus here in uh, Maine where we're building stuff. We'll get into that another time. Now, what we're going to do is we're talking with Edward uh, Slavsquat, which is also uh, a.k.a. Uh, uh, something else. You know, I, uh, do you use our um, Riley Wasser? Oh, did I say that out loud? Okay, so I just want to know. You know, what name do you go by, you know, in public? Because I've seen a lot of pictures that you'll have up here. Now, he is in silhouette here because he's at a train station, and he has this um, backlight and everything, and that's not intentional. But if you want to, you know, see what he looks like, boom, that's what he looks like, okay? <laughs> so we got, we got um, uh, some slides and pictures that will run. But the he's in a train station in uh, Czechoslovakia. Now, or Czech. All right, let's go ahead and get that out of the way first. Czechoslovakia <laughs> well, doesn't exist anymore. Czech Republic and Slovakia. So give me whatever uh is you're in over there. Yeah. In the well, first, th- thanks for having me back on, Ernest. It's really a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm in a I'm in a train station in the South Moravia region of the Czech Republic. I'm, I'm in a little town called Blansko. So, but I'm. It's a pleasure to join you and your listeners. And I'm sorry about the silhouette; it wasn't intentional. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cool. Let's go. Yeah, we'll we'll go with it. Now, this is what the first thing I wanted to do. I'll, I'll introduce you, and uh, but the main thing is I I wanted to do a map, you know, and we'll we'll get get into this. And, and the point that I'm doing this, people don't understand really how small Europe is. Well, I mean, it's not that small, but you know, you have a bunch of small states. A lot of these countries, you know, like uh, you know, Georgia kicked the crap out of it. I mean, you know, it's it's just it, 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 these countries. You think ooh. Ooh, the country of and ooh and fear and Germany and now I'm going yeah you put three of these countries in Arizona I mean you know it's it's really about the entire Europe including Moscow you know the western part of Russia you go down to the Black Sea get Georgia uh, Turkey Turkey Greece Italy Spain United Kingdom a bunch of the North Sea Norway Sweden Finland all of that isn't as much landmass as you know by I'd only eighty percent of the landmass of the United States. 
continental United States. That didn't even include Alaska, you know, Hawaii a little bit. But, you know, Alaska, crap, Alaska would take over Europe, you know. So as far as land mass. So I, we're not talking a lot of distance here. So it's like, um, I don't know, three to 500 miles or something from Moscow to Kiev, you know, this is like the distance between, you know, northern and southern California. You know, I, I, people, we need to understand the tanks are rolling. The tanks are here. I mean, it, it's it's that close. Oh, they have a drone attack. Oh, did they, you have to refuel it in the air? No, they, you know, it's right there. This is a tight, fast, quick crap happens, okay? I just want to make sure everybody understands that. And we'll do a little bit on the map here to uh, demonstrate that. Let me give you a, a little bit about. Can I just call you Riley? I mean, how many? I got four names just here. Call me, call me Riley. Riley. I, I, my name is not a secret to anyone. So All right. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I didn't think so. But yeah, the original Edward Slavsquat, we got to get that out of the way. Um, what he does is he goes by Edward Slavsquat. Now, we got some graphics up here. We'll talk about, you know, different things. But I want to get to this one of the the meme that is Edward Slavsquat and what's behind that. It's Edward Snowden. So Edward Slavsquat, you know, in the running outfit, gym suit, Adidas, sitting, squatting down, smoking a cigarette, kind of. Where the hell did that come from? How did, you know, Edward Slav Squat? It's just a pen name that you chose based on what kind of drugs are you doing? I mean, what, what's going on here? <laughs> Ernest, don't don't expose my substance use. Yeah. No, I'm, uh... <laughs> no, listen, so actually it was funny because I sort of have this strange, uh, well, I'm very curious about Snowden in general, but he actually came to Russia almost the exact same time that I did in 2013, I believe it's if that's if I'm remembering correctly. And he's always been this really interesting character to me because he's been in Russia forever, but no one ever no one has ever seen him. I've never seen like uh you know someone with a, some cell phone photo, you know, some Russian taking a photograph of Edward uh... Snowden. So where he is exactly, who knows? So he's been the, he's sort of this uh, very interesting uh, and I would say thoughtful uh, sort of whistleblower type guy but also like what is this guy's deal where is he what's going on so I, I just always found him to be just a funny interesting guy and this um, the very well, what, what do you think he, he might really be in you know some row house in New Jersey or something I mean I, what? I on it, artist I have no idea I know but it's just one of these curiosities right it's like wh- where is this guy and um and then the you know the slav squat part is this is just a very old popular meme, especially even in Slavic countries and not even in Russia, but any anywhere basically in the in the Slavlands, you have this uh, meme of the slav squat, which is the guy in the tracksuit smoking a cigarette, you know, uh, squatting near his apartment entrance, just relaxing, trying to you know. And take in life as it is. So, I don't know how I came up to the name exactly, but those are that, those are the two ingredients, you know, of my name. All right, so that's that's where that came from. Just you know, so FYI, I just want people to kind of yeah. get a beat on what's up. All right, now the main thing that uh, I wanted to do, I'll go ahead and do this now so that uh, we can get it out of the way, and. If you go all the way, Finland, Norway, and Sweden is a bunch of land, you know, up in the North Sea, it doesn't matter. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and mark and go to Moscow from top of Finland down to Georgia, you know, include 
Ukraine, part of the Black Sea. Well, hell, I'll just go ahead and include Turkey. And we're going to map out the coast. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm getting a lot of ocean here. But, you know, Greece, go up to Croatia, Game of Thrones. Okay. We go down the Buddha, Italy, get a bunch of Italy, go around Spain, go Barcelona, down to Gibraltar, uh, get Ireland. All the way across, boom. Okay, it's about, you know, minus the ocean. It's about three and a half million square miles, okay? Now, that includes a bunch of the North Sea, the Baltic Sea, the Black Sea, you know, some Mediterranean Atlantic. I mean, you know, it's a thing. So that's how much that is. Now, if we go over to the United States... I'm using Google Earth here just to kind of give you an idea because I don't, you know, I knew it was about the same, you know, but I, you know, I never actually did this. So I go, all right. So we go from uh, Vancouver or North Washington up there, Canadian border, and go over to Maine. Then we go down to uh, Miami, up the Gulf Coast, Louisiana, Houston. Down to Boca Chica, Boca Chica, Boca Chica. The southern part of the United States, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, up to San Diego, San Francisco, back up to Vancouver. Okay, now, what is that? Same. 3.6 million, now it's not as much ocean, so there's a lot more landmass. So you can see if you take the United States, and that didn't even include Alaska, Alaska, man, and then Hawaii, you had that, man, you, you got you got stuff going on. So what we want to do is I wanted to make sure you kind of got an understanding of just how much um, we're talking about in distance when you have wars. You got these wars, and what happens? You know, you're going to have... Um, you know, really fast, rapid. That's why it was NATO was such a big deal, is to have all of this um, uh, tank divisions and so on be able to repel Russia right away. Oh, my God, they're going to come and take over Europe in a day, kind of blitzkrieg like Nazi Germany did. So you put the United States, it covers all the way from Lisbon, Spain, all the way into, you know, the Middle East, up it through Russia, through Moscow, up to the coast. The entire United States is Europe. United States of Europe kind of thing. So I just want people to understand when we're talking about you're in, you were in Georgia for a while trying to get, you know, you had to renew passport or whatever to get back into Russia. Now you're in the uh, uh, Czech Republic getting documents and you say you're going back to Russia in what, September? Yeah, should be early September at the latest. I, I wanted to get this in so that people understand the perspective of distance. So when you fly from, like, Paris to Moscow, it's like a few hours. I mean, it's like going from, you know, L.A. to Chicago or something. So this is, so what's the sense of immediacy that you get when there's a threat of war in Europe? I mean, does that weigh on people? Is it, you know, missiles launched, details at 11 and you're dead? I mean, you know, what is the mindset of war in Europe? Share that with me first. Yeah, I think it would it would depend, obviously, on which country you're in and who you're speaking with. But I mean, look, the Czechs have a let's describe it as a, a colorful history with the Russians, and um, there is 
still a lot of resentment towards Russia because of, um, you know, basically this Soviet-sponsored regime uh, during the times of Czechoslovakia. And so, so I think some of this is justified. Other other elements of this bitterness, I think, is maybe it's, it's time to put it behind them. But uh, there's definitely, if you talk to people, they are worried about this war spreading um, beyond the borders of Ukraine. And as you pointed out, not without good reason, just because everything is so close to each other. You know, I'm, I'm in this town, Blonsko, in the Czech Republic. I can take a train in one hour. I'm in Vienna, right? Like, people don't think about this. Like, everything is so close together. So uh, at the same time, though, I would have to say, objectively, I don't see any sort of large land land conflict happening in Europe, although um, who could rule out the possibility of missiles flying into certain cities or NATO bases? Who, who knows, right, Ernest? It's, uh, my, my go-to motto now is it's 2023. Anything can happen, right? So... <laughs> Uh, just be- just because I think something that seems impossible it means nothing, right? No, I'm with you, brother. You know that's one thing. You know, we're to look at the map. I just you know did this. You have from Moscow to Kiev is less than 500 miles, and yeah. it is a and there's a straight shot through some pass that goes you know through the mountains here to get the everybody's got to go through uh, from the ocean you go through Ukraine to get to Moscow so I can see why Russia is like nah 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 we don't want NATO on our border they promised they weren't going to do it and then they did it anyway and to say it was unprovoked and so on that they went and got their bases in uh, the Crimea and invaded the Donbass which was a bunch of Russians on the east coast to say that they were unprovoked is a lie whether they should have done it or not or anybody cares or have that's a whole nother thing but they go oh i don't know why they did it oh they're so mean i'm going oh man freaking stop your line so as we look at what's going on now when we talked to you last it was uh almost a year ago and yeah about a year ago it was uh, at the request of one of our uh, listeners and readers, uh, uh, Matt White, and, and he and he prompted me again. Goes, hey, how come you haven't had Edward on again? You know, so I'm going. All right, all right, all right. It's it's time. It, it it's good time because a lot of things have happened. A lot more understanding. It's after you know uh, uh, Biden had been there a little bit, and we're seeing what's going on and the corruption of, and so it's time to get updated now. But I wanted to you know kind of sum up real quick um, your bio now. You went to Russia as, what were you, like 22 or something, 23, your young 20s. You go to Russia because Russia, what the hell? You know, America not being, you, you wanted to, I, we'll get into why. But then you started working for um, Iran TV, which was called what? Uh, press TV. Oh, so Press TV, right. you worked for Iran Television for a little bit. Why? Because yep. I can spell and I speak English. I mean, whatever. So then you get interviewed, you go work for Russia Today. Senior editor, which means, you know, they make you work a lot. So you right. um, working for Russia Today, then you leave that and you start writing on your own. That's where Edward yep. uh, Squat comes in. So my right. first question for the audience before, what do I give a crap what you think about anything? If I don't know why you left America, land of the whatever, you know, to go to Russia, explain that. Well, I can't say that I left the United States solely because I was particularly 
Well, let's put it this way. I was a young man. I was very dissatisfied with the current state of my country. I mean, this was in around 2000, I guess, what, 2011, 2012. Uh, you know, this was the Obama years, which to me were horrific because it, you know, the I think Obama was really one of the most depressing presidents we've ever had because after the Bush years, there really was this there was a need for change, a real need for change, right? An and what Obama yeah. did was he took all the worst elements of the Bush administration and he legitimized it. Or he said, you know, we, we tortured some folks. Let's forget about it, right? It's like it's all water under the bridge. At this point, and what so, difference does it make? <laughs> right, exactly, right? And, and Obama himself, I mean, you know, here we have the first so-called uh, black president of the United States who destroyed Libya. Which was, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan's dream, I guess, or I don't know. But it's, I mean, come on, the irony here. I don't know what to even say. I mean, Libya was one of the most stable, wealthy uh, nations in North Africa, in on the African continent. So it was, to me, it was just a very, it was a very big bummer because everyone I knew loved this guy. And but again, I don't want to say it was for political reasons. It was also just because I just wanted to see the world, you know. And so, just by pure coincidence, I headed east to Russia. And, uh, but why you know, Russia? In, you know, if you're not, you know, uh, enamored with Obama, yeah. freaking communism, you it know, was, it whatever. It, yeah, it wasn't a political decision at all. And you should re remember that they had pretty I, women. Pretty was it the women? It's always a woman. It wasn't the women, really. Honestly. Well, what it was, was it? It was. It was boredom. I was just interested in seeing other parts of the world, I guess. And um, I ended up in Bashkortostan, which is not a place that most people go. And I had never heard of it before I went there. And um, I had no real background in Russia. I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in Russia, but I ended up staying and I moved to Moscow. And so I, I spent about 10 years. Now, nah, you're killing me, man. You know, why not Bali, Fiji, Hawaii? I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm, uh, I'm going I, to know, Europe. I, have, I wind up I have, in I, Russia. I get this I, old, some I, hot. <laughs> chick blonde hair gave me a card you know something there's something that got you there don't bs me this, man i'm oh. i'm Ernest. i would never lie to you my friends no it's <laughs> uh it was pure it was pure it was i don't know it was fate maybe or i just took a job in bashkortostan teaching english and that's how i ended up in russia so. okay so there was an opportunity where can i go make a that's a i hear that a lot you know like uh james right. corbett and i do a regular yeah. show yeah exactly and, corbett and, was uh, an english teacher right yeah so. you know he, he's yeah. a literature geek you know from university canada he goes to japan and you teach english i have another friend that did it in um um beijing you know, and then no right, Shanghai, right. in Shanghai, right. and then you know other people go anywhere in the world. Uh, you speak English, okay? We can teach, but you don't even have to know Russian. What's up with that? I mean, how do, how do you even do that? Uh, it was really di it was really difficult, especially where I was living, because it's not like a place where foreigners were, you know, living. So it was very very difficult. But you so you're learning adjust. Russian as much as you're teaching them English. Well, yeah, but admittedly, my Russian is still not that great, I have to admit. But I was definitely learning a lot of Russian when I first arrived, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you young man, you were what, 22, 23? What was it? Uh, yeah, I was like, I think I was closer to 25, 24, 25. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so 24, 25, Obama's pissing me off. This is not, we had an opportunity. You doing, I was paying attention before, and you're doing the same thing. You suck. I'm, I'm out. I'm going to go, you know, sow my oats somewhere, find some Russian babe. Okay, so you go to Russia. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Did you have a relationship? Did you make a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever? Not, I'm not judging. I mean, so I just, <laughs> you know, did you? Yeah, get well, a relationship? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I did marry a, a Russian woman. I'm actually, I'm divorced, but I have a son who lives. He's in Moscow right now, so I'm looking forward to returning to him. Very cool. Well, why? Yeah. Did, why? Uh, what was the divorce about? Was it just incompatibility? You know, a cultural thing. You know, she wasn't what you thought. I mean, was there a cultural aspect to the divorce? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's really relevant. But yeah, it was just you know these things happen. Things happen. All right. So yeah. you have a tie with the sun. You got a tie to freaking Moscow now. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. All right. So you're you need to get back. And how old your yes. son? He is. He just turned six in July. Oh my God! What a great age and a bad time to be away. I man, yeah. I, I feel for you, brother. Yeah. All right, so we're getting you back. So you're uh, you went to Georgia to get um, uh, some paperwork to try and get passport back into Russia. What that didn't work out, so you're in Czechoslovakia. I mean, shit. You know, Czech Republic. Okay, Czech. I get shot. You say it wrong. All right, you get. You're in the Czech Republic. You're got something going on there, and you plan to be back in Russia in September. That's right. All right. That's right. So right, that I get us caught up there now. The experience that you had at Press TV, Loran, and going to Russia today, I need to understand how, oh, you speak uh, English and can write? Yeah, okay, you can come over here. So tell me about landing that job and if that was a surprise to you or not, what you learned there, learned about media, were you involved in media when you were in the United States? You know, how much of an experienced writer are you? Then you go to Russia today. So this journalism thing is kind of a bug you got, and now you got your own substack doing whatever the heck you're doing. So I'm just going, okay, so give me the connection there, this stream of thought to have you as a journalist. Well, yeah, I, actually, I read out, even while I was in college, I was writing professionally. Um, and when I graduated, I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked in, I did all sorts of odd writing jobs. In fact, I was even, uh, I was very briefly, the I was reviewing movies for the Washington Times, which is like that Mooney Run uh, newspaper. And uh, anyway, it was, a, I, I had many different gigs in Washington, D.C., but it was still very difficult to feed myself. The the starving writer thing is really true, and uh, and so I, I didn't last very long. I just got burnt out and bitter and and like I said, I mean because I was in Washington D.C., very sort of the whole culture is revolves around you know basically government bureaucracy and politics, and it was it was quite a disheartening and it really jaded me, you know, about the whole political system. So I got out. American woman, stay away from me. I don't need your war machines. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. 
Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. There are those that just want to be left alone, and those that just won't leave them alone. Which one are you? The Ernest Hancock Show. Don't stop me, cause I'm having a good time, having a good time. I'm a shooting star leaping through the sky like a tiger, defying the laws of gravity. And maybe a few other laws. We're continuing our conversation with Edward Slavsquat, which is the pseudonym of uh, Riley Waggerman, that is a young man that's been writing about the Ukraine war living in Russia, Moscow, Georgia, the Czech Republic. He's in Europe, right about Ukraine. Well, we're going to continue the conversation here. We're learning a lot. It really jaded me, you know, about the whole political system. So I got out. Okay, now what what, what publication was this? Well, okay, I, well, that's just one of many, but I was, I was also writing for... I mean, my, I guess my main job, I was at the time, it was this... Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this website, Gawker. Uh, Ernest. It was this very, uh, how to describe it, I would even say vulgar sort of pop culture blog, and they had many sort of sub-blogs, and one of them was called Wonket, which focused on political gossip. And it was sort of, um, it was very sort of left-leaning, I would have to say, in general. So uh, I actually got my start there writing, I would go to these, you know, parties in Washington, D.C., attended by congress members and staffers and try to cause trouble and you know it was very you're was part very of the new media ambush interviews Ex- you're being exactly no exactly you're, you're, but, I but, get it. but Ernest, listen i'm not i i was very i was very uh i wasn't mean-spirited you know i'm a nice guy so no, I was, you I was all for you're, yeah you're finding out what's what and as you're pay, paying attention trying to be you know relay accurate information to the audience you find out how jacked up the whole so i was yeah, you man i was in my late yeah. 20s when i started this late i'm going these people are freaking you know i didn't even learn till a few years ago what it even meant to be a sociopath you know or a psychopath right. and yeah, I, I was all sociopaths and psychopaths exactly <laughs> i you know i, I was like going What's wrong with these people? They'd say stupid stuff. I mean, be proud of advertising what a scumbag they are. And I'm like, what yeah, the crap? Yeah. They don't have any impact. They don't care. They're, they These yeah. positions attract these kinds of people. And once you realize that, man, we're up against some demons here, man. These guys are bad. So then you say, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going on walkabout, you know, around the planet. And you wind up in Russia. So that's kind of, and then, yep. oh, I can write and they'll give me a job and pay me money all right cool now that's that's what happens so then you get your experience going through this at what point did you start writing on your own or was it because of something like substack that even existed did you have your own blog how did that you start writing on your own and i guess you sell stuff or you have patrons or subscribers or you're you're like you know feeding yourself somehow so tell me about that transition well, I ended up quitting my job at RT in the summer of 2021, <laughs> basically because I was very, uh, I didn't approve of this policy that RT had, where they would give, um, they would give their, they would platform um, Westerners who were upset at their governments for this, you know, 
COVID tyranny that was spreading around the world, but they would absolutely prohibited any kind of even modest criticism of the Russian government doing the exact same thing. Mm. And for me, it was a real eye-opener because I had always believed in this sort of um, lesser of two evils sort of view on geopolitics where, well, okay, yeah, Russia has problems, but I really think Washington is, you know, this cesspit of pure evil and so I'm, I'm willing I'm willing to be pragmatic right but in a situation like this where you, you and your family are being treated like cattle being told that you can't go outside without a document or that your relatives have to be uh, forcibly injected in order to keep their jobs I don't care what Washington DC is doing I care what Moscow is doing and I couldn't uh, at that point it was impossible for me to keep working for an organization that was pretending to care about these issues but obviously didn't and was obviously doing it in a very cynical way. And so I, I quit. I left, and I just started on my own. And that, that's, that's basically how I started. Okay, so your first theory. article, you're going, hey, I'm going to get some on Russia, or I'm going to tell the truth about which piss off Russia. Or I'm going, what was your first articles? What, you know, give me kind of your first few of uh, you know, who you pissed oh, off. Well, you know, um, actually, I guess my first article was actually an, it was an op-ed that I wrote for RT. I pitched this op-ed, and it was about just um, this policy, this QR code, you know, these so-called health passes being introduced by Moscow Mayor Sergei Sobyanin. And I thought it was it was obviously medical discrimination, obviously backwards, obviously evil. And so I wrote this op-ed, which was, I think, very actually even-handed and even sort of playful that just pointed out, you know, this is not okay, and Russians don't like it, and no, it, this is not okay anywhere in the world. And um, RT just sort of, uh, they just said, no, you can never, you, we will never publish this under, you can't even edit it. I was like, well, s offer some suggestions, like offer some edits, and I can meet you halfway. And they just wouldn't publish it. So it was actually published by Off Guardian, which is a great um, alternative media Resource. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they ended up publishing it for me, and um, and so yeah, I guess that was sort of my first my first solo Russia article. So how are, how are you are you doing? I mean, you know, are you supported? Do you get enough uh, patron yeah, support? I, I, basically, I mean, I'm very very grateful for the financial support I get through, and it's it's only through Substack. I've been banned by PayPal for spreading misinformation about you know vaccines or whatever yeah so um it's only through paypal really and, and sometimes people send me bitcoin but it's not very often so i'm basically making minimum wage but i'm i'm grateful for the support uh you know i'm doing i'm i'm much happier doing this for minimum wage than i was working for rt for much more money yeah so. no i'm hip all right well that's how they get you man they want to you know you, you got to protect your job and i i i see this in friends family neighbors people i interview whether it's all about the metrics how many clicks you get how yeah. much money do you have how do you want to keep that don't you and they you know they incentivize like doctors i saw we just did a chart that had doctors getting up to 250 dollars per year per patient that they inoculate and they had right. to get up to 75% of their patients to do it. So this incentive, we knew what was coming. We had Dr. Mikovits on a lot, and and she told it. And then I found out Pfizer is doing a million-dollar grant to any legislator that successfully got an exemption removed or a mandate put in. You get a million-dollar 
grant, you know? And it's just, they're just creating a bunch of patients for pharma to freaking try and relieve symptoms they caused. It's just so insidious. So I, you know, I, I got no love. All right. With that background, now let's get in to Ukraine. I want to understand uh, what's happening on the ground, the reality of it, because this is what we get. I am constantly um, having stories on Freedom's Phoenix that you have, uh, you know, this guy saying this about that. Scott Ritter, Ray McGovern, all these guys, and a bunch of other people reporting on, you know, Ukraine's losing, losing, losing. No, no, Ukraine's kicking ass and Russia's on the ropes. We're going to, you know, Maui, you know, yeah, screw them. We'll give. Uh, we need more money for you know Ukraine. Oh uh, well, your school, right. your uh, food stamps. Right, we're going to cut all this. We're Democrats. We love the people, but we love Ukraine people more. You know, certainly Zelensky. Right, right. We're laundering money, so it's becoming so obvious. Same thing with the Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan. They needed another. You can't launder gazillions of dollars unless you got a war. Okay, so this just seems to me like a just money laundering thing for they, them, those. All right, they won't leave us alone. So describe to me what is really going on militarily in occupied air because it seems to me we got it back and it's a freaking parking lot that they leveled you know woo, we got our bomb craters back so i just need to know the reality of what's going on then we'll get into what the uh ukrainian people think what europe thinks what the russian people think but give me an overview military kind of overview of the war you know help me out uh riley yeah well look i, I would just start by saying i don't have any um i don't have any love for the kiev uh government if you want to call it that that being said you know let's separate let's separate kiev from this and just look at it from russia's perspective since it was it was russia's initiative to launch the special military operation so i think that we we should be focusing on what what did putin state on february 24th 2022 when he when they sent tanks rolling towards kiev what were the stated objectives and have these objectives been met are they have them been partially met where are we you know on this sort of uh what's the status of these of these stated goals and objectives so putin gave a few reasons for going to ukraine one of them was to demilitarize and denazify ukraine Another one was basically uh, to put it, Putin put it in sort of a different wording, but I'll try to summarize what he said or paraphrase. He said, uh, you know, uh, NATO's eastward expansion is a direct challenge to Russia's sovereignty, and this can no longer be tolerated. He also said that uh, it would be impossible for Russia to allow NATO to use Ukraine as sort of an anti-Russia, right? To create a situation where Ukraine becomes a, a NATO stronghold and a tool used against Russia, especially because of these sort of deep historic and cultural ties. I mean, these are basically brotherly nations historically, and obviously Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire for many hundreds of years okay now i want to also in, i want to inject uh, this before you get further okay. if they're successful 
and Ukraine becomes NATO, becomes, and Russia didn't launch a nuclear attack. Right. Um, immediately following Ukraine would be what, Georgia? Um, no, I I don't know. But Georgia's much harder. It's a much harder thing to read, I have to say. It's... Uh, you know, Georgia actually has a much more Russia actually has much more soft power in Georgia than it ever did in Ukraine. And I mean, it's a whole other subject. Ernest. I don't know if we want to get into it, but I, okay, I, well, I'm just I'm just saying, yeah. you know, if they get Ukraine, they're not done. You know, it's just, okay. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Obviously, you know, this is. Yes, I would agree with that completely. You know, and Belarus, uh, they'll change. I'll have another coup as much as Belarus right. is on Russia's side. You know, and Belarus just north of Ukraine on the Russian border, and they're allies. And we got the threat. Poland, oh, Belarus, they're going to come after them. We got them. You know, they're trying to create a, um, a front line or something. Well, yeah, Ukraine sure. was as positive Russia as Belarus was. You know, they did their little, you know, uh, revolution, colored shirt crap, whatever, infiltration, CIA, whatever the hell crap. And uh, all of a sudden, all the young people in Ukraine, we want blue jeans and Elvis Presley, and we want to join the European Union from the frying pan into the fire. So I go, this is to think that Belarus and Georgia and some of these others are safe from NATO and Western uh, aggression or uh, info, you know, push towards Russia is to not see what happened in Ukraine. They're not done. This is how they want to take over Russia. You know, right. what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I obviously I think the the ultimate goal is probably the dismemberment, dismantlement of Russia and to break it up into, you know, 15 or 20 different little mini states that can be more easily controlled. But just getting back to these stated goals and the last one, very yeah, important, please. sorry to interrupt, uh, is uh is obviously the protection of the people of Donbass. And so just sort of getting back to your question about my sort of overall assessment of this conflict. Okay, now before you go the, into there, explain Donbass. I mean, you know, why was that important? What is that about? Well, obviously because that's where this has been sort of the line of contact since, uh, you know, uh, 2014 when this conflict started and, and the Ukrainian military controlled large portions of Donbass and uh, this is, you know, the the ceasefire actually, I would have to say, before the start of this conflict was working relatively well, though there was still periodic shellings, which is obviously unacceptable. There were the civilians were being killed and maimed on both sides in some cases, and that's obviously unacceptable. But obviously, this conflict has greatly uh, aggravated. <laughs> Let's put it that way. This uh, this line of contact in Donbass, and and but sort of getting back to my point is, you know, if we want to look at this military operations in a sort of sober and level, you know, level-headed way, all we have to do is ask: Has Moscow, wh- whether you think the war is justified or not, whatever you think about the motives or who's in the right and who's in the wrong, that's secondary, actually, Ernest. What's most important, I think, is. Is the current situation more favorable towards, you know, creating a better tomorrow for both Ukraine and Russia than it was before the start of this conflict? And unfortunately, my current assessment is no, because none of the stated objectives have been accomplished. And in some cases, these problems that existed pre-February 24th have been 
exacerbated, have been made worse. And so the way that I view this conflict, unfortunately, I must report, is that uh, I think it was very obvious that Moscow wanted a sort of Crimea-like scenario where it was it would be mostly bloodless. They would march to Kiev. It was sort of like a military psyop where they would hope that that Zelensky's regime would just collapse. They would maybe I don't know whole I don't know what their plan was after that, but they didn't want this to go on until August 2023. I think that's very very clear, and for very obvious reasons. And so, unfortunately, I I, I have to say, I think. Um, what we're witnessing is a very, very horrible tragedy in which Russians and Ukrainians are being slaughtered, even though Moscow is still pumping uh, gas across Ukraine. You know, it's paying Kiev to transport its its gas. While yeah, I know. I happening. see a lot of the, you know the, the inter- that's just you know this is not it's insane, real war. right? It's it's really it's really incredible. It means that so. there are oligarchs and businessmen that are running exactly. everything. That's exactly. what it means. Well, look, I mean, let's be honest here, Ernest. I mean, you know, war is a war is a racket, right? And so while there's ideology and and you know, these lofty slogans and ideals for the proles, it's business as usual for the, you know, the top guys on both sides. And well, this is the same thing you start to find out. Same thing happened in World War One, World War Two, and every war, be it, yes, it doesn't matter. Yes, There's always yes, somebody yes. making money on both sides, and certainly yes. the banks. I don't care who wins because whoever wins yep. has got to pay off the other guy's debt. You know exactly. Well, when you said yeah. to Donbass, I I, I, I want to make this clear what this means, why this is important. If you look up at the map here on the the uh, stream, you'll see the eastern part of Ukraine, well, a lot of that, you know, over there, that's the, called the Donbass. And what it means is kind of a separate area. They spoke mostly Russian. They were Russian-affiliated. They were Russian, you know, family, Russian, Russian, Russian culture, Russian. And the Ukrainians, when they had this uh, takeover and whatever Civil War crap that was going on, you know, we we got to hate on the Russians. Just go over and kick ass and, you know, whatever. And they abused them. They persecuted them. They did whatever. It's kind of like, um, you know, the Irish and Great Britain kind of thing, you know. It was, it, well, they didn't like it. And then they started getting really aggressive and a lot of bad things were going on. Russia is like, hey, these are our people and a good excuse for us to protect them because it's a good excuse. So that was, you know, their reasoning for going into the Donbass was to protect, you know, the people that were supportive of Russia. So along with yeah, that when, was this threat yeah. that Ukraine and and with the Donbass was going to be a threat to the sovereignty of Russia. And they that was the big thing. Nope, nope. And then Crimea. If you look at the bottom of the map, you'll see like this island there. It's kind of a got a little land peninsula thing. But you got this big island, which is their navy base and their presence for their fleet in the Black Sea, which connected through Istanbul and Turkey, you know, goes through into the Mediterranean. That's their warm water port. If you don't have that, you know, then you got you got issues, you know, in the Baltic Sea and North and Ice and, you know, NATO up there, whatever. But they go, nope, we're getting Crimea. That's for damn skippy. So they get that. Now they don't want them to have Crimea, which is Ukraine and the U.S. It's always U.S. is bombing bridges. Ukraine, they're trying to start a third world war. They're trying to something. What are they trying to do? What is it? Hey, they think they can get Putin to set off a thermonuke or something. I mean, what are they trying to get Putin to do? Look, I again, I 
obviously any kind of mil- uh, civilian infrastructure that's targeted in this war, I would strongly, I mean, I condemn in the strongest possible way. I have no idea what Kiev is trying to do. Obviously, my, my presumption is that they're trying to do something very bad and destructive and anti-human. But again, I think we should go back, though, Ernest, to this larger question. Like, if we want to talk about the Donbass, the, the reality is that this war has been going on for, what, a year and a half now, and the Ukrainian military is still entrenched in Donbass. It's still entrenched in Kherson, which was annexed. I mean, not annexed, but uh, well, you could, they'll call it annexed, but uh, it's part of the Russian Federation now, legally. In Zaporozhye, it's the same situation. There are still Ukrainian strongholds. Ukraine still has a sliver of a territory in Lugansk. And so it's very, very strange to me that after a year and a half of this conflict, the world's second largest military can't push the Ukrainians out of, out of not even the entire Ukraine, but just Donbass. And if this was really the number one goal, I have to say it's not been going very well. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is that? And so I I condemn so much of what Ukraine has been doing, Kiev has been doing it again. But at the same time, it's like, what what is this war, Ernest? You know, like, what is actually being achieved here? Money. Who's actually, yeah. Well, is Moscow, if Russia wanted to, do you think they... They could. I mean, if they, I, I don't know. I, I there, is there negotiations behind the scenes? Well, we haven't milked this conflict for enough money yet. The sanctions well, on Russia Ernest, just made them richer. You know, they're like. Okay, so, well, here's here's an interesting fact that very few people talk about in English, but is very well known in Russian language uh, media, which is that uh, Putin has openly admitted that the reason why you know the tanks that were sort of or this sort of semi-encirclement of kiev in the early months of the war why russia withdrew it wasn't some sort of brilliant uh interdimensional strategy it was because moscow had reached a deal with kiev and then uh you know basically kiev sponsors i guess specifically boris johnson in the uk but i'm assuming also washington basically tore up the agreement and so what we're witnessing now is basically Russia trying to manage a war that it doesn't want to fight. And that's just the reality. That's just the sad, unfortunate reality. And there are going to be very, very serious um, domestic and political consequences for this reality. Because I don't think... I, I think most Russians at this point understand, you know, there's a difference between supporting your military and supporting... Uh, you know, understanding that a conflict doesn't really have a good ending for anyone. And in Russia, look, my own, my son has relatives who live in the suburbs of Kiev. It's a very, very um, personal conflict for many Russians. Many. Uh, you know, these are cousins, brothers, yeah, brothers, siblings. brothers, North South exactly. American it's a, Civil it's War. Exactly, really, it's a really yeah. tragic conflict, Ernest. And I, again, all I, I really encourage everyone listening just to ask the very simple question put politics aside put your feelings about washington aside i get it i really do but just ask what is being accomplished here uh, you know and are the people who are dying are they the ones that we're supposed to be killing you know <laughs> that's another question to ask you know why is it that not a single why is it that um igor kolomoski this disgusting ukrainian oligarch who funded azov why is he still alive right why why is the entire Zelensky regime just walking around in the open with no problems money so 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a gentleman's agreement, I think, Ernest. You know. Okay, this is you know. Let me, from what you've said, let me paint a scenario and see how far off I am. Um, Russia got a promise from the West that we're not going to encroach on them and move NATO east and threaten their existence of we're not communist anymore and we're freeing up and whatever and leave us alone. Pinky swear, pinky swear, pinky swear. Then they. Right. Then they don't. They come in, and they're they're not done. It's Ukraine, then Belarus, right. then Georgia, then, 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 then. You know, they just brought in, you know, um, God, Finland, Sweden. They put it in there. I mean, they yeah, damn Russians are putting their country next to all our military bases, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, that old joke. So, right, as what, right as what Russia put its country so close to our military bases. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I can see certainly even from, um, you know, like you get a Trump, America first thing. We well, have Putin, you know, right. any politician worth their salt is going to say, you know, Russia first thing, and uh, we're going to protect the sovereignty of. Then they see it threatened. Then they certainly don't want to lose Crimea. We'll be right back with the rest of our conversation with Riley Wagerman, a.k.a. Edward Slav Squat, here on the Free Talk Live Network in just a little bit. <laughs> Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember... I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Fear no fear here on Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network. We're finishing our conversation with Riley Wagerman, also known as Edward Slavsquat. He's a writer, blogger in Europe covering the Ukraine war from Georgia, Russia, Czech Republic. it's, um, It's good information, and we're sharing it with you in its entirety, and here's the rest of it. Certainly don't want to lose Crimea. You know, that was, that was you know, hell no. So I could see that wasn't going to be given away. And um, so you have the battle starts. Then they 
get around Kiev. They negotiate. Uh, if they didn't have NATO and America and all these other guys, it didn't seem like Russia just wanted to mow over them. They just nuked them. I mean, so they they go around. And they said, "All right, do you want to do a deal now?" Oh yes, yes, and we'd be wanting to do a deal. Then Boris Johnson from the UK, after he was prime minister, you know, I think I don't think he was prime minister at the time. They send him. He goes in. He goes, nope, no deals. We're doing it. You, you know, we'll give you a bunch of money, and you get to be wealthy beyond whatever, and we'll protect and whatever, and or we'll shoot you, kill you, whatever deal they made. Okay, so they explained right. it to Zelensky. Well, let me explain it to right. you. So then they tear that up. All right, we're not doing it. Do you think? Putin would ever trust any kind of deal that didn't include the United States. Now, I, I wouldn't trust him for a damn. There is no way that the United States, NATO, Western uh, democracies, whatever that means, you know, the Western world, the banks, all that would have any credibility with any deal dealing with Russia, China, any of these guys so then they create yeah. the bricks now they got their own banking system they're gonna back it with gold they're gonna because that you want to kick the living crap out of the united states have a competing currency it's backed by gold boom done is that what's really going on well um the the gold-backed currency is is maybe a possibility but i haven't seen really any <laughs> I mean, if it's coming, it's going to be probably years away. So I would, I would actually say much more concerning and pressing is Russia's adoption of a central bank digital currency, which is very, very frightening, just like it is everywhere else in the world where they are um, adopting these programmable, centralized, traceable digital tokens controlled by central banks that are beholden to the IMF. Yeah, but they get you know, it, Pat. They got to sprinkle a little gold on it. They got they uh, you I know have a gold look, logo Ernest, or something. I got I got to tell you honestly, man. I mean, I obviously there there are reports about it, there are hints about it, but it would be very very difficult in my estimation to create a, a gold-backed currency. Maybe, maybe it'll be backed by some other sort of commodity. Well, knows, I wouldn't trust but... them anyway. You know, where's your 24-7 <laughs> yeah. webcam? I got Fort Knox yeah. here full of tungsten yeah, exactly, for all I know. Right? Exactly. You know? So exactly, I don't, I don't yeah. trust them. Yeah. See, it's, yeah. it's all the faith. It's all fiat. It's all faith in what's yeah. going to come down to is going exactly. to be... It's all about faith. It's, it's going to be faith. gold. You know, it's going to be yeah. gold and silver. It's going to be... I like uh, technology. These gold backs are kind of like gold leaf and polymers. They're starting right. to make a big uh, splash here in America in uh, different right. liberty communities. So, yeah, and this is why, for exactly this reason. So, yeah. is it, so I, you know, just, you know, clear your cortex, you know, just listen to my 22nd question here. Do you think what's going on is a conflict of, you know, national pride and we got and protect the borders and you know america first nato first russia first kind of thing or is it an energy oligarch versus kind of you know back and forth who's going to make all the money on the energy you know they the right. north stream pipelines and all this other crap then you have uh banking interest is the banking you know who you know, has the world reserve currency controls the planet or is it we need smart cities and the wef and the un is going to you know enslave everybody and we'll kill off you know a few billion people so the earth can whatever our religion of saint could it be st- Satanism. I mean, you know, that kind right. of... So, of banking, energy, 
pride, uh, uh, world domination, control, Luciferian, whatever the hell. I mean, is it all of those? Is there one particular one you think is driving this? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I would probably guess that it's a combination of, of everything you mentioned, although I would... <laughs> I would really caution people against trying to find a savior, you know, in a in a government at this point. I mean, I think that after what we've all witnessed over the last three years, and I don't think I need to elaborate any further on that, um, it's pretty clear that we have, no matter where you live or who your government is, you have international agreements, you have international cabals, like the World Health Organization, which the Russian Federation is a very uh, keen and vocal supporter of. You have various organ- international organizations that, like the IMF, that the Russian Federation is still part of. And these super, you know, supranational organizations, like the UN and the Sustainable Development Goals, it seems to me that at, at, with each passing year, um, nations lose more power, and the their so-called representatives in these supranational organizations gain more power. And I have to say that overall, though there are some there there's some nuance here. Although it's I have to say it's not overly, um, you know, it's not it doesn't fill you with with enormous amounts of hope. But there is a little bit of nuance. But in general, Russia is basically on board with all this stuff. It's on board with the entire globalist project, and it would be very easy. I mean, I've documented this for a very long time on my blog. Uh, You can go down the list. I don't care what it is. I mean, with the exception of maybe, you know, the whole transgender thing and uh, gay marriage, Russia is on board with all of it. Just name it, and Russia's on board. Okay, now, so, would that kind of, um, you know, save Russian culture of whatever, is that because... Um the resurgence of religion and God in the culture or because Putin is religious or says he is or get the support of the people on this? Is that an easy, low-hanging fruit thing? What? I, you know, first of all, when I, you know, I point out this stuff, it's, it's applicable to almost the entire um, sort of post-Soviet region. So, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, how religious Russians are, okay, yeah, majority of Russians identify as Orthodox Christian, but something like only 5% actually go to church regularly, right? Um, And you have, I mean, Poland is probably, is objectively more religious than than Russia is. I think it's just because this, the sort of, the former Soviet states are maybe about 20 to 30 years behind in this sort of cultural degeneracy, just because they were shielded from it for so long, right? But um, unfortunately, I, I think that unless, unless there are very, very, very serious measures taken, and some have been taken in Russia and elsewhere, um, you know, it'll eventually catch up with us all. It's it's somehow, you know, this stuff spreads like a like a real virus. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a targeting of the hardwiring of youth. You know, it's, yeah, exactly, you exactly. Know, so it's, a, it's an education thing, really. At the end of the day, yeah, no, it's it, it's why America kind of goes through psych because we relatively more freedom or think we are. Um, it cycles faster. You know, it goes through these things. We'll get to the, you know, this too shall pass, and it usually does. But, um, right. you know, and 
the reason it passes so quickly is because we fully with the freedom and they you know, have access to the kids and school and everything and they're all blue faced and everybody's on TikTok. you know it, it goes through the phase and you're like damn you know so now you see all right i give you an example in 2003 when i first started doing radio there was a study that came out that said for the first time teenagers were spending more time on their computers than they were in front of the tv and i'm thinking good you know better you know they go search for what they want and whatever kind of you know experience this and this pre-programmed idiot box of whatever the hell but quickly you know, they then those pivot and go, well, we got to get control of the Internet then because, damn, you know, we're losing our eyeballs and ears. We can't get 60 million people to watch the same show anymore kind of thing. So right. they invade big tech. Well, as time goes on, you start getting a lot of the captains of industry and, you know, the big tech guys. They did a, a good example. I had my grandkids watch as they start to get preteen kind of thing was the social dilemma, which is a lot of these guys. We definitely don't let our kids have uh, these apps on their phone because we programmed them to program them. You know, we know better. We're not doing it, you know. So. We go through that phase. You start having a big increase in more conservative values. You get MAGA comes out, homeschooling. You you can see the actual attack from they, them, those, of whatever the heck is going on. And then there's resistance. Well, right. how much is that inherent resistance, that heritage, that resistance of authority, the questioning of authority? Question authority? Hell, I say... Hang it up by its wrist, cut off its fingers and toes, and let it drip dry. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So is that available, that mindset in Russia against government and authority in general? Or is it like North Korea, you know, the leader is God and everybody else is out to get us and we got to... You see, I, I need to understand, I understand. the culture. Yeah, so um, I would say that if I was in a situation where there was a, an oppressive government, I think the best place you could live is actually Russia, just because you're surrounded by people who are very suspicious of authority, very jaded of, of the idea of government institutions in general. They understand the reality and truth behind power, because in Russia they don't they don't try to dress it up like they do in the United States, right? And there's no window dressing, and this was definitely true during the so-called pandemic when you know Russians their government was instituting all these really hor horrific and anti-human policies and Russians were uh, either ignoring them, bypassing them, or, you know, in cases there were guys who, there was a case where uh, some security guard was checking QR codes. He got stabbed for asking someone for a QR code. So these are serious people, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, but listen, it's... Um, the, the, but the Russian mentality is a little bit different than the American one because you, you're not going to see Russians necessarily uh, organize and, and hold street protests. So instead, what they'll do is that they'll nod. They'll say, oh, yeah, okay, I understand the rules. And then they just ignore them or they or they find ways around them or they, you know, they have a small circle of friends and family and they they all are on the same page, right? And and that's, I think, the, the difference here. But I'll tell you, um, I have so much, I have profound respect for the Russian people. I think that they have, they have shown themselves to have ex extreme dignity in the face of some really horrific things that have happened to them and to all of us all over the world over the last three years. 
And so, you know, one of the things that keeps me going, even though sometimes I really want to quit the Internet forever, is just to um, try to relay that truth that um, the Russian people are deserving of our respect and admiration. They're just, in many ways, they're just like us, just like all other people on this planet. And they are fighting the same fights that we're all fighting, you know, all over How the is that exploited by someone like Putin? Yeah, I'm with you. I, yeah, government yeah. sucks. I got this guy. I put him in jail. I, I did. Yeah, you know, how yeah. is that exploited? Well, look, uh, I mean, it's that's a huge topic, Ernest. I don't know if we're going to be able to get into it too deeply, but well, how much time you, know, you got? We're an hour in, you know, and I've I got can... I've got about ten minutes, and then I unfortunately I got to run. All right, all right, but, so um, we'll, we'll go yeah, again after. I'm go. sorry about that, but normally I would definitely hang around and talk more. But um, look, the way that I see Putin after after living in Russia for about ten years, I see him not even as a he's sort of like a monarchist figure. He's sort of like a Queen Elizabeth, and I, I you know, I'm, I'm trying to say that in a not in I'm not trying to insult him. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he's the guy, he's the figurehead. He's the cultural and social figurehead of the country. And I think many Russians, you know, they will they support Putin because they see him as this living embodiment of stability and sort of cultural and social, I don't know, uh, longevity or what is, I don't even know what the word is. But they hate their government. They hate everyone around Putin. All of his ministers, the state Duma, their governors, their mayors, they all hate they're all hated. And United Russia, which is this ruling uniparty in Russia, is almost universally hated. But but Putin is supported because he's not really – I think more and more Russians don't see him as a politician. They see him as this sort of, you know, this embodiment of, of social stability. And that's something that Russians really value is stability because it's a country that has faced a lot of instability in the past. And I think Russians are tired of it. And so that, that's that's how I sort of view Putin now. I don't even see him really as someone who's probably making all of the decisions, to be perfectly honest. I'm um, you, you don't see him as making decisions or he is. I don't I don't I don't think he's I think in many cases he's not really. He's not really in charge, in my opinion. No. Well, who do you think is? Well, that's a really good question. I think it depends on what what we're talking about. But in general, the same in the United States. Um, you know, oligarchs and intelligence agencies. <laughs> okay, so the negotiations aren't really between prime ministers and presidents, no, and governments. No, no, no. It's, it's and between spook state. states. It's all spook states, Ernest. Spook states. <laughs> yeah. Spook states. Yeah. I like that yeah. word. Do you ever use that in one of your articles, spook states? I should. I should. You can. You can use it too. I yeah. No, I'm gonna rip it off. You can, <laughs> I'm gonna let you use the phrase I ripped off from you. Okay. So the okay. Um, uh, spook states. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's one thing. The you get in the mindset of you know people in their head that they kind of can grasp a concept by saying something like a spook state. Well, it's just spook state government. It's spook right. state. Spook state yeah. You know, uh, negotiation. It's spook state. Right. Whatever. Right. Because if you're dealing with the banking system, you're dealing with the energy um, industries, you're dealing with uh, trade and da 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 da. It's spook state versus spook state. A spook state. Exactly. And exactly. you look at. Yeah. 
um, Z, Z Pink, whatever his name is, uh, Z in um, China. Z Pink, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering how controlled is he? You know, is he top dog? Is he, when he, like, uh, they ignore the previous prime minister or whatever and they get rid of him and walk him out and kind of, you know, and he's got his head down, you know, is he told to do that or did he tell them to do that? So I'm wondering how much Z Pink is, is in charge, you know, and, right. and, and like Putin, how much is he in charge? He'll throw right. Navalny in jail forever. I mean, because freaking, oh, well, did he? You know, so do you really think that um, Putin is in charge? You you think not, then what is? Well, again, like I said, it's, um, it's business interests that are... Yeah. Basically, in control of of spook states of intelligence agencies, I think that's really that's really what it comes down to. It, maybe it's oversimplistic, but I think it might actually no, be no, pretty no, true. No, 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 I want to explore that yeah. a little bit in the next couple of minutes. We got left. So, in America, I look at the same kind of thing. I'm on. We're doing yeah. a thing. OccupyTheLand.org. dot org. Occupy the land. Right. I'm just saying this all comes down to they don't want you on the land. You're not allowed to have your land. You can't grow this. Oh my God! You're collecting God rained on your property and you want to use rainwater you're not allowed because you know right. I, i'm just like who are you people okay so you can see this spook state thing there something else is going on they want the purpose of government defensive individual rights doesn't do that then why the hell are they there why, why right, are they exactly. there what are they there for you know right you know safe and exactly. secure on what my land so we're going to make a right. big deal out of that i'm going to be a butthead but what am i really coming up against it's the ones that um this is a fight i'm not leaving to my grandkids i i just i'm not doing it because i can so i am but the point is is that they want to control everything and that definitely yep. includes yep. you being able to be self-sustaining, building your own sure. shelter, growing your own food, educating your own kids, collecting your own, my God, rainwater. You know, so this, if 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 God had mana dropping on me that I could feed my, then they come and rip it off or tax it. So I'm just like, exactly. this, this is what we're really up against is this mindset that seems to be global, universal, and over writing, umbrellaing all of this distraction that we're talking about. You see my point? Exactly. So how do I agree, you Ernest. Yeah. how do you depict that to the Russian people? Oh, I don't know. I think Russians sort of know it intuitively. Well, I think we're you know, they're a, not very they're not very um they're not very political people but they have a a, a very um tender souls, you know. They 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 understand things intuitively very well. Are, they do understand they, power. Do they have a um uh, an, a tolerance for you for Americans? Do they see the American people <laughs> oh, and the Russian no, people? They've been or? very nice. They've been very nice to me. They've been very they've been very cordial to me. So they think the government suck, but uh you know, the people or people were people. They, they understand that we're all people, all right. most of them. Cool. Yeah. All right, on your way out, where are you going next? I mean, what what, what do you got to do? I'm What's going, your next article? I'm going to a little uh, – oh, my next article. Oh, I don't know. I, I It's hard to say. It's hard to say, Ernest. I don't know. Spook State. <laughs> I want – that's spook the state. title. I it, want... Yes. Spook, it, it just be caps locks, <laughs> Spook State. Yeah, Spook State. You do Spook State. Yeah. Make sure we get it. We'll pick right. the crap out of it, and you get nice. you get you inspired it. Well, you said it first, so you win. But you go ahead and put it Spook State. I guarantee right. that I will make that a popular 
the spook state versus spook state of one big spook state to spook state. You get that in our minds, you win, man. That's going to be. I like it. Spook it's a state. deal. It's a deal, Ernest. All right, I'll, I'll make sure you get it. Hey, thanks for coming on again. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got. It's been a year, so we spent a lot of time on you and you know where you're coming from and your mindset. And next time we'll uh, focus more on your articles and the news and about the uh, Spook State. Because I want to do Spook State. You write the article, Spook, spook state. state. We're going to do Spook, spook state. state. We're going to kick right. the crap right. out of it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me on, man. It's always a pleasure, man. Peace, brother. Bye. Yeah, take care. Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. .shiresociety.com This hour of Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant, irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use. Dash. Start by learning more at dash.org. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us, but if we are to be prepared for it, 
we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! place where James and I get to talk. All right, this is what we're going to do. There's there's so much stuff going on and I you know get get cuz you know you, you take off and there was I remember one time I took off and there was an earthquake and all the snow shook off of Mount Everest. I'm like, "What?" You know, then you have some war starts. Everything get well, James took off, he went fishing, okay? And then because he's a a literary geek, you know, he probably is reading and stuff. You know, he gave me an assignment last show a couple weeks ago. He goes, all right, I want you to, I'm going to have him tell you all about it, but, you know, read that. And I'm like, what the hell kind of geek literary thing is this? This is what. I looked up literary geek. There's a website, literarygeek.com, okay? And I'm going, James, because I know he's a literary guy, you know, whatever. So go ahead and tell him the assignment that you gave me and why and what we can learn. Because I did have some comments on it. It was interesting because I had all these big James Corbett words and context. It's a century ago or more. And I had to go through... um, all kinds of references. And I'm, I was trying to find I'm going, all right, James, what the hell did I just do? What was this all about? All right, go ahead. And, before we get into the news, go ahead and tell people what's up. All right. Well, so for anyone following along at home, it's called Pierre Menard, author of The Quixote. And uh, it's by Jorge Luis Borges. And you should absolutely, positively, 100%, whatever you're doing, if, if you're playing this in a plausible format, pause it, go read that. Go read that little short story. It's a little short story. It'll take less than an hour, and then come back and continue listening. To it's not that long. <laughs> it's probably like yeah, um, it's it's eight really pages. short. I'm saying if you're a slow reader, it might take you. No, it took um, me an hour of all the references I had to check. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you were looking up references, then um, well, in a way, you're doing it wrong because <laughs> because I say short story. So uh, Jorge Luis Borges was this Argentinian um, writer. Uh, from the early part of the 20th century. Um, probably my favorite short story writer, but I'm not sure you could call him a short story writer. I'm not sure exactly what he was writing. For example, Pierre Menard, author of The Quixote, is a fictional essay? <laughs> I, like, I don't know what format this is exactly, but it's a it's all fiction. It's all made up. Every every person and every well, like reference. Hunter Thompson obviously. stuff or something? 
<laughs> well, obviously, Don Quixote is real and Cervantes is real, but Pierre Menard and all of this, completely fictional. Um, but it's written in the form of an essay, like a literary essay about responding to literary critics who have been writing about this this author, Pierre Menard, and what he was doing and blah, blah, blah. So I get <laughs> going into this with no context must have been absolutely incredibly confusing <laughs> so hats off to you for doing that um but essentially the essential idea of this which i must confess i have not reread this short story for 25 years at least but i remember it to this day i actually just reread it just before we talked just so i can remember what's going on in it but i remember the idea of it because it's such a brilliant idea it's about this 20th century writer who decided to rewrite parts of Don Quixote by Cervantes, the what's considered generally the first novel from I, 16th 1600s century? 1600s or something, yeah. Yeah, about, about 1600 or so. Um, and so this guy was going to go and rewrite parts of the novel. Okay, what do you mean? Like, copy them? No, no, he was going to somehow, without consulting Cervantes, he, he said he'd read it when he was 12 or 13, and then reread bits of it here and there, but he was going to try to rewrite parts of Don Quixote not from memory, not by copying, but by attempting to get into the mindset of Cervantes and become Cervantes in some sense and start writing Cervantes. And he actually did it. He produced whatever, according to this fictional essay, this fictional character, Pierre Menard, actually did produce a couple of chapters of Don Quixote, word for word. Not by, again, not by copying, not by remembering, but by actually living Cervant like Cervantes or getting into that mindset. And I thought that was such a, an awesome idea. And what I love about it is when he starts developing the idea and, say, and comparing the passages. And he's comparing literally the, the quote from Cervantes and then the quote from Menard. And it's literally word for word the same quotation. But it means something so much different when it's coming from Pierre Menard writing in the 20th century. Uh, how could he possibly be writing these words? I mean, we get where Cervantes is coming from, from 1600, but here's here's Menard writing this in like 1900? What's going on? And I, I thought that was such a brilliant thing. Anyway, really, the reason why this came up at all is because, for people who don't remember, last time we were talking something about the Declaration of Independence, and I, I said something like, oh, well, you know, you're, re you're rewriting the Declaration of Independence or something, and you said something along the lines of, you know, I don't need to rewrite it, I'm living it, or something like that, and I thought, that's brilliant. Well, imagine someone writing the Declaration of Independence today, not by reading or copying or rem remembering Jefferson or Thomas Paine's words, but by actually living the spirit of that 1776 revolution. And those are the words that occur to me to put it in. And I'm going to write this. And think about how different those words would be in the Centuries 21st later, century yeah. from the 18th century. Because, I mean, take take even just some of the most... We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. We're right there. That is a political statement and a half in the 21st century to say all men are created equal. I mean, how can you write that, right? right. But also, of course, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Again, right there, you're placing yourself squarely in a very a very contextualized position of uh, with regards to religion and uh, bringing that side of it into it. Anyway, you could do that. You could compare, like, word for word. This is what Jefferson wrote, but this is what I wrote. And uh, I, anyway, I thought that would be a fun intellectual exercise. But you're exactly right. Literary geek. I am a literary geek. Literary I've been geek. called worse. 
gig, and I think gig, this gig. one applies. This is what happened. I think it. I don't even remember what brought it. So I didn't make the context, you know, of our how why I was reading. I was like, <laughs> "What the hell is going on?" I I thought, okay, this is what happened. I'm like, um, uh, when I first started doing all this activism, or wanted to go, what the hell is going on? I went to the library and I read the Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights. You know, I want to know what the deal was, what the promise was. And I could see, you start reading more Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and I could tell that I would just regurgitate what he said. Because I liked everything he was writing, you know, about the individual and the purpose of government, all that kind of stuff. So I, it was like one half a day at the library as I'm doing some research before the internet. And um, uh, I go, no, I, I, I can't read any more of this, or I'll just repeat it you know it'll just be incorporated into my person I, I need to go live it i need to go challenge this stuff so i think that's what prompted you to get me to do mm. that but um yeah. you know but i didn't know why you done i'm like why am i <laughs> hell? this is what i got out of it what is james trying to say with this <laughs> it was big flowery shakespearean kind of word verbose you know metaphor whatever the hell and i got that there was critiques of him in uh, uh, what he had done, and he was writing to the critics, or you know, first he starts off, well, I'm I'm the crap, and you know, I like all, all these people like me because they like me and they're important people, so I must be cool, and you know, and I get to have a say, and yada 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 yada, and you're trying, I'm trying to figure out, and then he make references to different characters in mythology and and of the time, so I got to look up all these words and names. I'm like. What the hell are they talking about? So I got an education, you know, out of, you know, yeah. the yeah. assignment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But I was going, so I finally, I wrote, after I got done with it, and I'm digesting it, and I'm going, okay. So they had flame wars a century ago. Is that what you're telling me? You know, because this was, it was like a highbrow flame war. That's what was going on. Yeah, well, I and your your mama wears army boots, you know. So I, well, I was this like, is like 20 dimensional chess. When you think about it, because he's yeah, he's taking on the 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 persona of a literary critic responding to other literary critics about this fictional guy. But it's all a fiction, but it's actually Borges who's taking on this role, writing something that looks like a literary criticism essay that is actually a short story that in a sense may be a response to Borges's critics. Right. He may be. Flame war. Well, this four D anyway. chess, I didn't freaking pick it up. I mean, and then no, that's what you know. Context is everything. You know, who is yeah. this guy? Why would <laughs> yeah? You? I'm going what? This? So I yeah. didn't even know. Th- whatever. So anyway, I didn't. You know, <laughs> to be Jeff, honest, I didn't really expect you were going to read it. So I'm glad you did. Hey, I do what you tell me, man. You know, you yeah, say read right. something, I'll I keep read that it. In mind, I will use this power very carefully from yes, now on. Yes, <laughs> please. Okay, so. So I go, um, well, you said, you know, for next time we talk about, I go, oh, man, I got So I had it set aside. Okay, this was another thing. As I did the research to find this thing, finding the actual PDF of the actual article was not that Mm -hmm. easy. There's a lot of references to it, and that was what was interesting. That's what got me intrigued to begin with. It was like, you know... All these academics, all these literary geeks are sitting there geeking out on it, talking about it, but they don't have it. They're just talking about a movie they saw with no movie, you know? And I'm going, yeah, right, 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 I'm right, like, right, what right, the right. hell? I, oh, now I got to yeah. find it, man. They're hiding this yeah. thing. So then I finally. Anyway. Oh, dang. Go ahead. Well, and I finally find it. I go through it, and I wasn't sure. So I just went through it, and I'm going. It wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. It's probably, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 12 pages, something like that. But um, so I, I go through it, and then I send 
James an email, and I go, did I, eat, did I read the right thing here? What the hell is going on? Were you trying to tell me there's flame wars? You know, that there was this or that? I did, you know, some research, and I go, okay, thanks, but I mean... No thanks, man. You know, I mean, whatever. Yeah. But they, but I go, man. You are definitely a literary geek. And I just, I just searched it. Just and there's a freaking web page. So I sent that to James. I go, yeah, here's your people, man. Go for it. So that was that story. I just wanted to. I yeah. yeah. So use your but power now, judiciously. Now that you're a uh, now that you're a Borges fan and want to read everything he's ever written. Um, I will direct you to Film Literature in the New World Order, number 27, The Library of Babel, which is another um, oh another God, Borges story that, again. again, is actually like a fictional essay. But I, uh, I, I read that one for you, so you can uh, download my MP3 reading of the story if you want. Okay, and well, then tell, me, I, ah, tell me what I'm going here. MP3 of the title, I got to go uh, find what? The Library of Babel. Just type that into Corbett Report Search and you'll find it. Library of Babel. All right, how long is it? Oh, no, you're going to read it to me. How many hours yeah, is it? you can listen to it, exactly. Um, but it's. Uh, I think the relevance of that short story will be more apparent once you listen to the podcast. Anyway. Thank you. Um, and it's basically, the Library of Babel is like Google, or access to the Library of Babel is like Google or what have you. Well, how long anyway, is the MP3? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's been many, many years, so I don't it know. It takes years to my listen to it? No. <laughs> what? Oh, yours. Yeah, it takes years. Um, um, but very parenthetically, this also brings up my favorite pet conspiracy theory that I've never really deeply researched, but I've heard and I'm, I'm willing to be convinced by. Thomas Jefferson didn't write the Declaration. Thomas Paine did. But they had to hide that because Paine was, you know... He was a crazy atheist, uh, hardcore God hater. Really? So they had to cover that up. There is a theory about Thomas Paine did like common sense, you know, the cause, yeah. you know, like okay, yep, yeah. yep, 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 right. yep. But but he did not. He did not like. Yeah, common sense. In some, a lot of people will say that started the revolution. But Thomas Paine is not lauded, and he was actually. I think he died poor and basically uh, cast out because he was. Uh, controversial in his time and so he never got a lot of the credit and so there was the theory he wrote the declaration and it makes a lot of sense in various ways i heard some person giving a lecture about it once um but i haven't i haven't researched it for myself so i'm not i'm not vouching for it i just think it's a fun theory okay the 47 uh, that's, minutes. that's the podcast that's the podcast but if you go down it says for a reading of this story by james corbett click here that's the, uh, the actual reading of the story. So you oh got to read, listen to that first. La Biblioteca de Bebe. Okay, that's 18 minutes. I, I, I can do 18 yeah. minutes. All right. Exactly. All, all, right, right, all, right, all right, all right, all right. Then you'll talk about it for an hour. Okay, I get it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I got oh, that. Uh, I love giving people literary homework. <laughs> I, you know, I, but it's, uh, it's I, relevant. I, I it's trust relevant. you. You know, I mean, you know, James says, you know, that's one thing. I've been really busy. And I just even at, I I usually listen or watch your stuff, you know, when I'm doing workout and I'm welding and we're building all kinds of crap and grinding and everything, and I come and scrape off all the crap before we do this, take a shower. But the um, but I have a welding helmet on, you know, mm. a lot of the day, so I can't put my um yeah. my uh, uh, workman 
thing, you know, the big ear, right. what do they call them, word, yep, yep, whatever, yep, yep. you know, on. So I, I, I didn't get caught up. So I got a whole bunch. I'm going to be living Corbett for the next week, you know. So this is, which I <laughs> Well, I, I was off for doing. a week, so, you know, I gave you a, a little break. You know, you did have, um, that's one thing I wanted to talk about was this, the School of Understanding, mm. how I, um, uh, I wanted to talk about it just a little bit. Tell me what it was about because I haven't had a chance to do it yet. Because yeah. uh, Jordan Page has a homeschool curriculum thing that he's doing called mm-hmm. Firefly, and uh, they have a Telegram, and uh, and I'm on there because he put me on there, and I just check it every now and then. And they were going on about this interview, you know? Oh man, it was you know this is it, and you know James, God, this is what what was this about? Why were they so excited about about this? Uh, because it's a good idea, essentially. So, um, long story short, uh, it's a conversation with Cheerd Andringa, who was a professor at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And um, for anyone who's ever wondered how it is that I got to speak at TEDx, um, if people remember, I gave a TEDx speech a decade ago. That was because of Cheerd. Um, he was a fan of my work. He'd been following me for years. He got in touch. We. I interviewed him. Um, he came through Japan at one point, and so we got to, we, we met. And then he invited me out to Groningen to speak at the university, well, at a sort of the Studium General, the, the student union, essentially, of the yeah. university, and to give that TEDx talk. So um, I've known him for years and years. But over the past few years, he's had an interesting ride because uh, he have essentially got canceled. Um, he ultimately, mutually, uh, amicably parted from the University of Groningen. But after... Um, Basically, he got dragged through the mud in the mainstream press and everything like this guy is a conspiracy theorist and he listens to things like the Corbett Report and blah, blah, blah. And he tells students these crazy ideas. So anyway, despite having consistently outstanding reviews from his students, he ended up getting canceled from the University of Groningen. And so now he's essentially an unemployed professor. But based on what? um, Why was he canceled? He used somebody's wrong pronoun or something? What? Uh, there was a complaint at some point about him introducing some controversial idea about, you know, vaccines or whatever in the classroom. And eventually it turned into, to use a literary reference, Franz Kafka's The Trial. And he, they wouldn't even say what specifically he had said that would have crossed whatever imaginary line they were saying was crossed. But essentially, um, he got hounded out of the university. And, services and so he is starting his own university well not quite but it's a type of post-secondary uh school of understanding and basically the idea is it's a decentralized um uh idea for that that anyone could do anywhere essentially but he's going to do it in groningen he's going to take on 10 to 12 students and just take them through a year of developing their idea in whatever whatever field they're in economics or anthropology or whatever, whatever they happen to be studying and basically developing their idea, finding a project that they want to work on and developing that project with them and then helping them see that through to conclusion. Um, and obviously this is not a accredited institution. They're not going to get a piece of paper yeah. from the government. That's Since when does that matter anymore? <laughs> exactly. Does it matter? Because as I say in that interview, essentially, I think this is this is going back more to the idea of the apprenticeship system, where you will find people in that area who know what they're talking about, and you will sort of apprentice with them and produce something of value. And that will be your CV, not some piece of paper from the government. It will be, hey, I can do this thing now. So anyway, that's the idea. We'll see how it works. He hasn't he hasn't completely he hasn't done the first class yet, but we'll see how it works. Very cool. Yeah. No, that it. Uh... 
you know, so of course I got it up. I'm got to watch it, you know, and dude, I'm just, ugh, I'm behind. But the, the um, uh, I, you know, I'm glad that you, you took your gone fishing week. I, I, I can get caught up on the other stuff. But the, um, uh, go ahead and tell me about your little uh, vacation. What brought that on? Uh, just a number of things. Um, one, James M. Pilato was taking a week off, so there was going to be no New World next week. It's the middle of, it's August in Japan, which is crazy for all sorts. Of, I mean, the kids are all over the place, and it's a million degrees out. And so I, and I am a human being who needs to recharge the batteries. So I just took a week off. I was actually doing a lot of just admin kind of stuff behind the scenes, yeah. but getting stuff in order and uh, just enjoying a little breather. Good. You only do it once a year? I mean, what, I mean, I mean, come on, dude. You got, uh, you I generally, to- you know, it's funny. Yeah, I generally take a little Christmas New Year break and generally a week or two in the summer. But that and uh, but I get from the it's funny, no matter what I do, no matter what I say before I take time off, I always inevitably end up getting emails from people. Where are you? What's going on? Why aren't you posting? I need my I fix. haven't received an email for for six days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, uh, you know, fortunately, I what uh, what I do is I have, you know, one network show on, on Monday and then on Genesis yeah. and then we have. Liberty Radio Network, Liberty Talk Network. You know, they're kind of podcasting, you know, aggregators and so on. And uh, and I write some for some newspapers and different, you know, so I, I do a lot of work. But what happens is, like today, I do three shows. So I'm in this chair for freaking, you know, ever. And then I went out and did some welding and so on. But the, um, uh, for building the equipment that we're doing for our Occupy the Land thing. But the, you know, I can do like three, four shows in a day. And uh, Donna will, you know, load me up for a couple of days, and that'll do me for a week or two. And then if we know we're traveling or we're doing something, then I bust butt, you know, I'm sitting in the chair all day every day for a week or something. Then I can take a week off. You know, I can just do it because we don't do the live show anymore because we've been on the bus and traveling. But um, but we when I do the show, we do the live stream. So people, we send it out when we're doing it. And so they're watching live. But then we have the archive. And then I, you know, put some together for the network thing and so whatever. So that's how I get time off. And but that's just from the radio. And then then I got the site to deal with, and I have all five billion emails. I mean, it's just it, man. It's all day, every day. Now, what happens is Donna would take up the slack a lot of times, but she won't be back until um, Tuesday. Of this This hour of Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant, irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get 
and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Declare your independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network. We're continuing our conversation with James Corbett of the CorbettReport.com. CorbettReport.com. Now, James and I have been doing a regular show every week, every other week for years. And we get kind of personal. We talk about each other's lives, and we eventually get into the news. (laughs) Well, this is, uh, you know, more of that, and you get to learn a little bit more about us, which is what our show is about, our site. We're very open. We've been activists for a long time. We have, you know, our our crew in Arizona and around the country. So there's, it's a family. The Liberty community is a family. We all know each other. We've grown up together as people, as family members, as fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. It's been amazing to share with what our how our personal lives are affected by the circumstances around the world. And that's what you'll get from us. We'll continue now our conversation with James Corbett. Since April, we spent a few weeks together in Washington last month. This is the longest she and I have been apart since we got married 39 years ago. We just had our anniversary August 11th. So this is, man, I've been... Thank you. I've been happy. 39 years, man, I win. But, you know, and Donna, man, oh, I win. Well, I have been washing my own clothes, washing the dishes, do it as far as you know. And I've been... (laughs) So I got a load in there, so I'm... I mean, it's been a thing. Donna, I love you, baby, and I'm not waiting for you to get back. But she's still been helping, you know, produce and do some stuff. But the uh, to get time off is like a thing. That's one thing I wanted to talk about. My daughter, youngest daughter, she used to produce for me for like two and a half years, and uh, she's a homemaker now, and they're doing well. She has a uh, long time. They planned on this. They're going to Maui early October. Well, then with all the fire and whatever the heck happened there, they got to change plans and do them, but they're still going to go to Maui. And uh, but they're taking their two little kids with them and everything. And I go, you know, we'll find out what's needed. What you know, maybe we'll send, you know, do something. And then my family text group that we have, they're talking about it. So my other kids have been to Hawaii. Don and I went, you know, for 10 days one time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I could see that. 
this island, they had all these rich elite guys. They want to take and do their smart city thing. We're not, oh, they wouldn't use directed energy weapons or lasers and, you know, take it so they can take it. That'd be wrong. Now, this is one thing I wanted to show you because I keep track of this stuff about the power of the satellites, of the lasers on fighter jets, of what's that. And this is something that I wanted to show. Now, let's go ahead and watch this. This is Chinese lasers that um, landscapers use to cut trees, okay? See, it's just a lay. They take out a little briefcase, and they're big-ass trees. This is landscapers. Boom! And I go, what do I always say? If they, them, those can, they are. Well, they can. This is, you know, this is like big. And you just, you know, you get in a suitcase and you just, boom, cut right through this. So, no, no, they 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 wouldn't be able to start fires and everything with lasers on whatever. If they can, they are. So that's kind of my point. I, you know, I sent that to my kids and I go, look, man, you know, they can. So, you know, crap's happening. Just just FYI, just, you know, so you know. So this has been um, an interesting week. What what did you have to think about uh, what was going on in Maui? That kind of getting conspiratorial with you, you just kind of whatever? I haven't been following it in any detail. I am certainly, yeah, I'm certainly open to absolutely any and all explanations, but I haven't really been studying the footage or anything myself. It, the thing that got me, uh, you know, blah, 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 but... When it started, and it's an inferno, they had high winds and whatever happened, it started the fire, and it just swept through and just mowed them. And it was, how fast could you freaking get out diving into the ocean, running for the ocean kind of thing? But when it started, some people on the other side of town, they got in their cars, and they're all queued up. They're lined up, you know, to get out. And a police officer in a car was at the front, you can't leave. And all those cars just, you know, people just died. Now when people go in and want to help, you're not Red Cross and you're not FEMA. You're not allowed to help. So they have yachts coming into the bay, and they're using jet skis to give them food and stuff. Who are these people? I went through this during Katrina in uh, New Orleans. We were on Air America, Liberal Air America, and that was a big thing. We're going to send stuff to them. And, got, and what happened, there was a state representative. It was Kirsten Cinema. That's now a U.S. Uh, senator from Arizona. You know, super progressive, whatever. And she was like, nope, you can't do it. You have to do it through me. I have to drive the U-Haul. I have to go get the stuff. I will pick it up. I, I'm like, who are you people? As they're turning away yeah. 600 bass boats wanting to go save people from their rooftops. So there is something yeah. major going on. And I had um, uh, Riley Wagerman, um, was that, Edward uh, um, Slavsquad or whatever. And, and you've interviewed him before. And I interviewed like a year ago. We had him on and uh, talking about Ukraine. He lives in Russia. Well, he's in Czechoslovakia now. And or, uh, No, no. The Czech Republic. You say Czechoslovakia, you get shot. But anyway, so right. it's uh, yeah. so the Czech Republic, and he was in um, Georgia trying to get back into uh, Russia. Well, it's a long story. Russia. But yeah. what happened was, yeah. as we were talking, and I'm going, what do you think we're up against? I mean, it's weird, all the stuff that we're talking about. You have Kiev 
getting oil from Russia that they're fighting, paying them to do whatever. You got the military industrial complex making bank. They all just want to keep this going. They tried sue for peace and doing and then, you know, Boris Johnson comes in from the UK and tears it up and you're not kind of I mean it's like they want to just spend money, kill people, do what are we up against? And she and he goes he goes, um God, what was it he said? We're it's the spook state. Yep. You know, it's just intelligence kind of they, them, those spook state. You know, it's not like deep, deep state. It's a spook state. And I go, oh, yep. heck yeah, I'm still going to rip that off. So spook state, what do you think he means by that? What, what are you What are you seeing in all the spook state thing? You know, it's a, it's a good way of conceptualizing the deep state. Um, maybe it's not the overall deep state, but it's an exceptionally important section of it. And I think it's what people point to when they say that the, um, to the extent that the coup took place in November 1963 with uh, shooting the president's head off in plain daylight, um, you know, the, the groundwork, if that was a coup, the groundwork for that coup was probably laid in 1940, was it 1947 with the passage of the National Security Act? That was when the groundwork infrastructure for the spook state was really being laid out in an f- official capacity because that's when they transferred from the the o- uh, uh, the Office of Nav- Naval Intelligence and the OSS and all of that and so- solidified it into a essentially a command and control structure for deep state operations abroad. Abroad, it was all to you know they weren't going to do anything at home, guys. Scouts honor. You can trust us. But anyway, once they started to put that into into practice, then it, essentially the president lost any control the president may have had over the uh, the machinations of the, the spook state before that point. And that's, I mean, essentially, don't you think that's what Eisenhower, a big part of what he was warning on his <laughs> way out the door, the, the military industrial complex, you better believe he was including the spook state as part of that. And of course, that's, I think, that's part part of what started to turn Kennedy um, during the course of his presidency from I wouldn't say he was a product of the spook state he was a product of the the Joe Kennedy crime mafia mob state um, who got put into office and he was uh, by all accounts a genuine you know cold warrior type who started to realize with the Bay of Pigs and all of that oh wait I don't really have control over all of this stuff that's going on, and I barely know what's going on. And one of the theories surrounding Oswald is that Oswald was following the Operation Mongoose um, people around uh, for part of, for the FBI as part of trying, of essentially Robert Kennedy as uh, uh, Attorney General, trying to shut down the CIA's illegal operations stuff that they were running in Florida there and all of that nonsense. And then, of course, that gets weaponized against JFK uh, in November 63. So anyway, that's that's the spook state, right? It's that integral part of the deep state that is hidden behind the cover of national security under the rubric of the CIA and the, and the NSA and the FBI and whatever other intelligence apparatus there may be. But that's not really... That, that's the cover. The CIA or whatever is the cover for the operations that are going on that are compartmentalized and are do, 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 more to do with human-to-human individual relationships. Could it be Satan? I mean, you know, I, it, this is an evil thing. You know, this is one thing. It, it uh, Right before we had had that conversation this morning, I had watched yesterday, I think, last night, 
uh, RFK Jr. doing an interview with Tucker Carlson. And I think it was like mm-hmm. a second one or something. But um, he was talking about this. And he goes, yeah. um, Dulles, he's called it the Warren Report. He goes, Warren and all the other commission guys, they were senators and congressmen and Supreme Court. They're busy. They got day jobs. The only person that was 24-7 with the, all the meetings that was really ushering through this whole thing was Dulles. Dulles was CIA that JFK fired. And when he got assassinated, he goes, yeah, I'm glad the little SOB is dead. You know, that kind of thing. And then he runs the Warren Commission. So this was, so when he was saying spook state, I'm going, oh my God, this has been going on since forever. There was, um, what was the movie of Matt Damon and um, um, Robert De Niro, I think it was. It was called uh, The Good Shepherd or something. It was about the founding Mm. of the CIA. You know, right, it was right, right after World War II, and they yeah. do this stuff. So Never this, saw it. I shouldn't see it, though. Yeah, yeah, I, it's worth watching just for, you know, because, you know. Yeah, I'd like to see the propaganda narrative anyway. Well, it's the fact that they, you know, created it to do, and it was kind of this spook state thing. Hey, we're doing, we're, we're in charge now, you know, basically. Yeah, right. And with unlimited yeah. budget of black bag budget of whatever yeah, the hell. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's what, when he said spook state, it just really... All this stuff clicked. Yeah. That is yeah. the mechanism by which they're doing all this. It's all these intelligence communities that's run yep. by one, you know, entity of Staten or something, you know? And I'm going... Well, I would say no. I would say it's not necessarily run by one entity. But but looking what at philosophy? someone like Dulles... Looking at Dulles is a good way of looking at it. Because Dulles uh, was obviously director of Central Intelligence until the Bay of Pigs. And then he gets shuffled off by uh, JFK. He's not renewed, shall we say. And so he's not in a position of power in 63, right? Like, he doesn't have any official CIA capacity. He's not He's not a, the director. He's not... But, but, but all of the people was. who were loyal to him in the CIA were still loyal to him. And you better believe those networks were still operative. So th- I think that's more the model of the spook state is there are certain people who are in positions who no matter what their ostensible title is, are actually running things. And I think there are probably multiple people like that in any given time era. It's just someone like uh, Dulles was a particularly influential one. You know, I just rewatched uh, just a couple of days ago, um, John Travolta and Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry in Swordfish. Did you ever see Swordfish? I did not, no. You know, that's right. All right. Ernie says, okay. <laughs> I got homework now. Huh? Yeah, Swordfish. You ever hear of it? Okay. I've heard of it. I definitely it is. It is interesting. It's fun, and you look at when it was made. I don't know, like two thousand or so. I mean, whatever. Mm. Uh, It's an action Mm. spy thriller flick with some twists in it, and it's kind of you'd appreciate it, okay? And it goes right along with this. And one of the points that they made in there in the fifties, it was something J. Edgar Hoover created a a secret save America from the commie bastards of whatever it takes, uh, you know, terrorists bomb a church, we bomb 30 mosques. I mean, that kind of crap. Yep, yep, and yep, yep, um, yep. so it was, it made me think when the, and I didn't even make the equation, equate those two. It's just a good action flick, but uh, kind of a thriller. But what happened is, was J. Edgar Hoover part of this kind of spook state, or was it in competition with it? Yeah. Well, that's it, right? Like, because, yeah, Hoover and Dulles undoubtedly must have collaborated in various ways. But undoubtedly, you know, the FBI-CIA turf war has always been a thing. And I think that's a real thing. And certainly was in that time. And that's why Hoover had 
the goods on everyone and bugged everyone and had the you know the transcripts of every moan and ooh and odd in JFK's tryst with Marilyn Monroe and everything else because he wanted the blackmail on everyone and that's how he survived for what whatever it was 40 plus years in that position as director of FBI yeah this this spook state really it hit me today I, I was like I never even just thought of that I mean of course you'd you know, you have the intelligence community doing intelligence community stuff or somebody doing something or something. But, you know, the Good Shepherd put that down. You know, it's got a bunch of stars in it, you know, whatever. It's a decent movie. But the main focus of it gives you the idea of how they recruited and started after the OSS and you know, everything in World War II that it turned into the CIA. And then you yeah. could, and it kind of ends right when they kind of got it created and built the building and here we go you know so i'm sure there's a sequel coming you know but the um so yeah i'm pretty sure that's what it was the good shepherd but uh, yeah. it, uh matt damon cia it'll come up but the um i think angelina jolie was in it too but these things they're not promoted that much and it's like you don't hear about it unless it's from people like us going you need to watch wag the dog you know that kind of thing yeah have you yeah, seen yeah. Wag the Dog? I gotta yep. take you to school. All right, all right. No, so I've definitely seen that. Yeah, you know, Wag the Dog, and uh, um, this has been a revelation for me today. It's just you know, sometimes I mean I'm old man. I've been I, you know I, I you forget you know when they say the the phrase I've forgotten more than you'll ever know. As I got older, now I know what that means. You know, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I forgot all about this. So yeah, there's um a connection with the spook state thing. And you're saying there's not an overall, um, it's not a tool of the WEF. It's not a tool of the UN, but are the WEF and the UN kind of cohorts, collaborators, or tools of the spook state? And who's the major spook state? And is Russia in competition with their spook state? Mm. Or are they really in cahoots while he's doing the same? That's what, you know, um, uh, Riley was talking about today is Putin was doing the same crap. You're not allowed to report on it. On Russia Today, you can say all you want about how bad U.S. is while he's being buddies with pharma, you know, while he's doing the same kind of crap. And then, of course, we do sanctions on him, and he gets filthy, stinking rich, you know, making money on... I mean, there's... We are not being told the truth. Oh, I need, I need more corporate that, video. Of that, we can be certain. Of one thing, we can be certain. We're not being told the truth. Um, what was that famous quote that uh, I think was it um, William Casey? I can't remember which CIA director is alleged to have said it, but yeah, we will know our, our mission is complete when everything that the American public believes is false or something like that, right? Um, anyway... Um, mission almost accomplished at this point anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, you could spend your entire life studying this and perhaps that's part of the point, right? Um, but ostensibly the spook state is not a singular thing. It's a national thing and each nation has their spook states. States plural, I would say. Uh, certainly in the US. I mean, I think again, there are different power centers and they compete with each other. Uh, what was Snowden about? It, there's a theory, and I I think it's as plausible as anything else, that uh, part of what Snowden was about was the CIA um, trying to get at the NSA, essentially. Um, because you'll remember Snowden's interesting career trajectory, washing out of special forces like Timothy McVeigh, and then um, and then working for the CIA, and then working for the NSA, and that's when he ends up blowing, blowing the whistle, quote-unquote, and assuring us that there was nothing to 9-11 truth or aliens 
he would have seen it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, there's, there's, there's within any given nation state, I think there's multiple centers of competing spook state power, but specific, supposedly it's set up on the nation state lines, like the CIA, NSA, DEA, DEA, whatever is all in the US. And then you've got Canadian, like CSIS, and you have ASIS in Australia, you have MI5 and MI6 in, in uh, England and blah, 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 right? But is it really that cut and dried between nation states? And if you want uh, one interesting insight into this, I certainly don't hold him up as a font of necessarily truth, but at any rate, an interesting perspective. Uh, Adam Fitzgerald and, uh, oh God, I'm going to forget his name, which is deeply embarrassing, Deep State Consciousness Podcast co-host who I've talked to before, so it's deeply embarrassing that I can't remember his name off the top of my head. They just interviewed Michael Scheuer, of the CIA. Um, specifically, he was the head of the Bin Laden station for in the late 1990s. Um, he ended up getting ousted from that position in 1999 before all the major fire... Well, I wouldn't say even before, but before the, the catalyzing catastrophic event. But um, he's always played a big part in the whole buildup of Al-Qaeda story, Al-Qaeda story. And they, they interviewed him as a good hour and a half conversation. They talk about a lot, including Scheuer's um, assertion that he... Himself, he never countenanced the, uh, the the idea that 9-11 was anything other than a foreign Islamic terror strike until he started looking into and thinking about Building 7 and how that came down hours later, despite not having been hit by a plane, etc. So anyway, there's some interesting nuggets in that conversation. But he's talking about some of these some of these lines and where are they drawn. And he does make allusion to the fact that one thing you cannot do as an American official of any sort, intelligence or otherwise, is in any way dare question the relationship between America and Israel. And another thing that he says, which I, I, that I think is fairly well known in alternative media circles. But one thing that he said that I think is interesting, um, that is maybe not so well known, is that the even at his time in the CIA, there was always the sense that the English, British intelligence was kind of the the bigger brother in this. And if the Americans felt they couldn't do something, ask the Brits, they'll get it done. And and he says that, oh, that's kind of stupid because we paid the bills for all the stuff that they were doing. But anyway, everyone would always turn to the British. And that certainly falls in line with the sort of LaRouche kind of narrative uh, that has been picked up and talked about and maybe kind of Carol Quigley-ish narrative that uh, the real font of power still resides in the old vestiges of the empire. Did the British Empire ever really go away? But anyway, that gives you a sense that, yeah, of course, there are nation states, but they do. uh, The spook states collude in various forms. And the most obvious example of that is the five eyes. Um, England, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Is that right? Those those are the five eyes. And and we know that they they collaborate together. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you told? Roads? It's the Ernest Hancock Show. Where we're going, there aren't any roads. That's the solution. That's the mission here on Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock on the Free Talk Live Network. And it's been a great show today. Well, tonight we're going to go ahead and finish off with the rest of the James Corbett interview, CorbettReport.com. And then we'll say goodnight. Peace. Um, England, America, Canada, Australia, 
New Zealand. Is that right? So those are the five eyes. And, right. and we know that they, they collaborate together and basically spy on each other so that they can get around the internal rules. Like, of course, the CIA can't operate in the United States, but obviously, you know, MI6 or the Canadian intelligence or whatever can do the spying and then give that information to the CIA, right? And so they all do that and they're all monitoring each other through the Echelon network and all of that. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting network and you could spend your entire life looking at it. And then, yeah, how does the UN, the World Economic Forum, Bilderberg, how do these different groups function within that spook state? Maybe there are different centers of powers within the spook states that collaborate with different players in the overall globalist structure in different ways. It's a big topic, man. I'm What I'm doing is I'm looking up here. There was a scene by Joe Pesci, Pesci and mm. um, JFK, you know, mm, right. you know, riddle enigma thing. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I just rewatched that the other week. Actually, you know, I've been, I had it up. I'm, I'm like ready to. I think I, I think I've got to get caught up with James here. I need to, you know, go watch it. All right, I don't know where it is in this scene. I'm just going to try mm-hmm. and see if I get it yeah. close. But uh, uh, I hope this isn't going to go on Genesis because there's a lot of cur- cursing. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, Ian gets on my butt. You know, he's like, "Hey, man, you said bullshit," and I go, "Oh, it's the Murgatroyd." All right. Here, let's see if this is it. Stuff. Uh, Dan Charge. But who the f*** pulls whose chain? Who the f*** knows? Oh, what a deadly web we weave when we practice to deceive. And who killed the president? Oh, man, why don't you f***ing stop it? Who did... This is too f***ing big for you, you know that? This is... Who did the president? Who killed... Man, it's it's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. The f***ing shooters don't even know. Don't you get it? So that is the point. I, I was lucky. I got it right there. It's a mystery yeah. wrapped in a real inside of an enigma. You know, I kind of, you know, so that was the, you know, even the shooters don't know. So Yeah. And that's such a good point, actually. And uh, I've tried to make this point a number of times. Uh, I did a film literature New World Order episode on um, American Tabloid by James Elroy. And I, I still think that's a brilliant novel um, that's told from the, the perspective of one of the bagmen in the assassination operation. What um, book is this? And you get to see, you get to see from that that level of sort of the low level operative who kind of knows a piece of this, and he knows a bit of that, and he has a personal connection to this person, so he knows a little bit about that. And you can kind of you you know there's a much much bigger plot that's happening that involves all sorts of things, but you only get these tiny little glimmers of it, and then the novel actually ends on November 22nd, 1963, as this guy is sitting there and he's hearing about the assassination. And you know he knows all these little pieces of it, but at that point, you know that even, yeah, even if you had the name of the shooter who did the headshot, that wouldn't tell you the plot. It doesn't, that's not what is important. There's so much more going on. And I think that was a great fictional encapsulation of that that idea. You know that they're starting to allow this stuff. Uh, well, I think Musk is positioning himself to essentially become, um, to monopolize the social media space, or if not monopolize it, at least get the lion's share of it, because trust us, guys, see, you can talk about whatever you want. Meanwhile, um, now, uh, not only are they starting to gradually turn it into exactly what Musk said he was going to, the WeChat of America, which, by the way, WeChat, of course, is the Chinese communist slave app essentially um but now uh, apparently there's leaked screenshots that are coming out of the uh the 
the process that X is starting where they're going to make you upload your selfie with your ID in order to prove who you are, blah, blah, blah. So it's coming. I think that's the long game that's being played right now. But Musk is like, hey, guys, trust us. Meanwhile, did you see his uh, his CEO just came out and said um, lawful but awful content is going to be deranked and deamplified on the on x whatever they're calling it this week so lawful but yay awful. musk will save us all Well, who's yeah. going to define awful they talk about that exactly exactly that's the question isn't it we get a lot of stuff because of the vaccine thing then there's a whole bunch of self-assembling little circuitry nanite 5g turns on of kind of man wow so yeah. i they go do you think that they would earn it? and then chemtrails is like yeah of course we've been chemtrailing well because we love you we're you know save the planet stuff we're gonna do it yeah. some more yeah. and, and it, you're you're yeah. a conspiracy nut until all of a sudden you know the trilateral commission comes out and says yeah we've been around we just celebrated our 40th anniversary thanks for playing I, is there one that you're waiting on that's not I, I i know it's going to be i know it's going to be what's it going to be the one conspiracy that eh, i don't know if that's going to come to pass what do you think what do you think aliens, aliens! Yeah. aliens! <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, you know once they go to that i think we know we're in some sort of end game i think they're they they want to keep that bubbling but i think they want to keep that on the back burner <laughs> Yeah, Until well, it's time to really sigh out people. Well, no, they, I mean, it was alien congressional testimony of inside yeah. whistleblowing, whatever. Right, 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 right. But again, what does that stuff. do? It just keeps it bubbling on the back burner. Oh, look, they had a big congressional inquiry about it, and they're saying right. it. And now everyone's just like, eh, you know, eh. yeah. Yeah, well, it's not that we go, whatever, you know, get in line with all the other crap. When he did Space Force, the part of that was some of this, you know, competing spook state stuff that they mm. got to have all the what you know mm. and and that's why i enjoy our conversations because so i mean you mm. know so mm. he really won i i got i got a yeah. legitimate president i'd rather have an illegitimate president so they're Ill- illegitimate you know that uh, everyone knows is illegitimate right. exactly yeah i go right. that's yeah. not gonna free me you know having oh the right guy is supposed to rule me i mean i don't care so this is um where do you think this hey, is uh, going? Hey, by the go? way, sorry. Um, I, I'm just about to post it to the front page. I just posted it to the site. Uh, I just talked to Larkin and Amanda about uh, their new film. I don't know if you've talked to them yet, but uh, you should. It's a uh, yeah, the plant- it's a great Jones Plantation thing. Jones Plantation, yeah, 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 yeah. No, we'll, you know, I think we did talk about it before. Why they they premiered it at um, Anarchapoco. Mm. Then I think they showed I, it at Porkfest, and yeah. uh, so. I watched it. It's pretty good. Have you seen it? Yeah. You know, yeah, so- yeah, yeah. I've just seen it. I just talked to them about it. Uh, I'm I'm on board. I mean, it's the right message, especially in as we head into the most important selection cycle right. of your lifetime. Yeah, no, Larkin's <laughs> been on point on this for a long time. He's like, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the most dangerous superstition, you know, government kind of thing, his book. Yep. And then I remember I read his book, uh, The Iron Web, which was kind of, uh, mm. you know, yep. an agorist. Oh, Okay, Agris Marketplace, Agris.Market, you know, Black Market Fridays, um, uh, com that we did. And what's happened, they have a telegram, and Mike Swantek mm. is really good about making sure, hey, man, there's no chat here. You guys in direct message, you know, you just put up what you got and what you can do, and you guys can go do your deal somewhere else. I don't right. want to know, don't care. Um, right. What I'm seeing is, you know, some people have, uh, you know, various trinkets and trash, it's, 
the old Craigslist or wherever. But um, it's food. These guys are doing, mm. you know, food, yeah. packaged yep. food, beef yep. jerky, vegetables, uh, packaged uh, sure. meals, kind of. You know, it's it's really, a food thing. It's a food thing. And they're going to be mm. able, you know, who's going to be able to find a food when nobody can find a food? You're going to go yeah. to Agristop Market or uh, BlackMarketFridays.com. It goes to the same sure. place. And there's going yeah. to be food. I'm like, yeah. hey. Good. So I'm yeah. trying to get these guys to come on. Yeah. Doing it. Again, anyone who has looked at what happened in the past three years and does not understand, that is the template for what we are going to be put through time and again through whatever hobgoblin they're going to bring up next, climate change or whatever else, lockdowns and digital IDs and scanning to be allowed into certain areas or whatever. It is coming. So, yes, awesome. I'm glad to see people are starting to do what they should have been doing for many years, but at least they're doing it now. Well, we're always ahead. You know, I've always been. It used to be I was like 10 years ahead. Then it kind of got five. When the internet hit, then it gets like three. Now it's like 18 months to three months. I mean, you know, it's like you can't be too far ahead anymore. And, Mm. um, And I just feel it's a race. You know, we're looking forward to, you know, we're thinking of going back to Arizona in October because it's not so hot and it starts getting cold here and we get stuff done. Yeah. But I'm yeah. I'm getting antsy, man. You know, I mean, yeah. we got to get on it. So this yep. this is, I, I still don't know what you're going to do. I mean, you think you're going to be okay mm. there? You got some, you know, underground bunkers? Yeah, or something? I know some local growers and people I can get food from um when push comes to shove but um is it enough you know how will it stand up in and what what will japan impose you know honestly one of the big concerns for me is we're going to be on the front lines of world war three that 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 will be kind of a concerning thing because china when when and if they go to take taiwan will uh, undoubtedly be setting their literal targets on japan as the front the, the proxy front for the u.s and asia pacific so china's about ready that'll, to fall that'll be fun. about ready to fall economically you know they're mm, yeah, all that yeah, overbilling yeah, yeah. the credit of debt of housing yep, of yep, whatever yep, that yep. it's going and a lot of people aren't yep. paying attention to it you know mm. only one that it seems that is coming out ahead on this is uh russia i'm like mm. what the crap you know this and and the sanctions, they're just pumping money into them. You know, they keep buying gold. You well, know? Did, did, you talk to, uh, did you talk to Edward slash Riley about that? Because he's written about that and the, the idea that Russia's doing A-OK. Well, it's not quite like well, it's being pumped in the old media. Yeah, I, they're doing better than what they were. I can tell you that, you know. But Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. It's a question of comparative and relative to, and whether you're thinking import or domestic economy and all of that but um also of course yeah i wonder do you think putin and all these people are in the same the same team uh well the russia has just unlaunched their cbdc but don't worry the same people in the alternative media who tell you everything russia does is wonderful and great and is going to save humankind will tell you don't worry russia are the good guys their cbdc is all right can i wait a minute what'd you say they launched it or unlaunched it what did you say? Launched it. Okay, they awesome. have officially launched the digital ruble. Yeah. Uh, 6% of actual Russians are excited about this, but um, I think 99% of people in the alternative media who continue to tell you that Putin is you know, one thing Riley rainbows said, and sunshine down. You know, I asked him about the cultural thing, because he was married and divorced, and he has a six-year-old kid there, so that's one motivation he's trying to get back. And yeah. um, 
he was saying, you know, I go, what's the culture like? How how is the uh, you know white boy American you know seen and but they're great and the people he goes, yeah, they may comply and they'll like smile and nod their head or whatever. But they know God's yeah. full. Yeah, 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 yeah. The people, yeah, exactly. I, I think the the Russian people are smart people, and they know they know to not trust their government. So it's so weird to hear foreign foreigners talking about Russia as if it's some wonderful, amazing government that loves its people. Russians don't think that. So how are you? Why do you think that? I wonder. I wonder if um, it's always where it's the worst, where you see the most. Um, um, capitalist or the Austrian economist mm. or Liberty. Oh, Argentina. You've been paying Argentina, attention to this. Yeah. yeah. I've heard about this. I don't, I haven't looked into it, so I don't really know what's going on, but I heard the president is now. No, kind of he, won, he, no he won, he won the uh, primary of one of the parties okay. or whatever. Oh, okay. So okay, he's okay. like, um, uh, yeah, John Snyzen, uh, economic truth has you know, really been following this and sending stuff we've been posting. Cause it's, um, that has happened before. Chile mm. and, um, and Argentina. Mm. Yeah, 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 and there's yeah, always yeah. been some Austrian school libertarian thing. They'll come and speak in Phoenix. Well, the Chicago and, boys were there in Chile, but the, the whole Pinochet thing does not sit well with a lot of people. <laughs> For libertarians, out. right? <laughs> didn't work out. But, the, but yeah. there's a lot of the free market. Um, uh, they got a school down. I mean, it's, it's just an infection. You know, it's just like anywhere. It's like, you know, Arizona or New Hampshire or something like that. You know, it's just there's there's Texas. I mean, you know, Florida kind of. And um, so you have these outbreaks and then you get this public. The, the circumstances get such that, you know, the, the dollar goes to crap or the currency goes to crap again, you know, on a regular basis every decade. This is like third, fourth yeah. time that I remember. And um, then you get somebody up there with the Internet. They're able to explain it. They're going, look, let me tell you what's going on. And then people support and they go, damn it, we need some bulb machines, you know? Yeah. And that's what I've always felt, why I became an act, why I focused on election law, why mm. I could see the corruption, because I didn't believe that the people really were that stupid. Mm. When they expect, they're just smart enough to know, like the Russians, eh, it doesn't matter, they all suck, and you have... Two thirds of the people don't vote for president. You got a third of them don't vote, you know, and then you got yep. the other thirds, you know, beating up each other over whatever. So you got two thirds of the people didn't support whoever gets there anyway. And yep. you have all of this. No, don't trust it. Don't trust it. Don't, and it's going to come down to it doesn't freaking matter. Which I'm going to say mm-hmm. a lot tomorrow on the show. So I, I <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, make you feel better. But this has been. You know, before you go, I wanted you to, um, uh, from the time that you took off, and and now you're going to take some time. You're going to watch a good shepherd. <laughs> yep. And what was the other? And thing? Uh, swordfish. Yeah, swordfish, swordfish. You'll enjoy that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the work you do, and I really I get a lot out of it, and that's why I enjoy having our conversations because mm. it's uh it, it it's marketing to our audience too, and I always trying to send people your way, and it, and it ain't everything that you put up we put up on freedom's phoenix because it makes us look good it's all about me 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 you know mm-hmm. but the um uh we need some more deeper understanding i really like this spook state concept mm. because yep, yep. it's uh you can you can connect the dots you know it's like uh the good shepherd kind of thing you know you have there's they them those doing whatever but how you know and then they got off budget 
doing whatever the any and everything that they, I don't know, can they? I got Chinese landscapers lasering down trees. You think they can't start a fire from, oh my God, while they're putting, you know, you know, half a gigawatt lasers on fighter jets now? I mean, they're on ships? Hell, they could have done it from a battleship, you know, or a destroyer or whatever. Out ah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling this battle. It, there was a, uh, I used to say this all the time, there was a site somebody sent me a, a YouTube channel, and it, it's called End of the Beginning. And I used to say, I go, uh, you know, this is, this is like the end of the beginning, you know, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning. I mean, it has yeah. started, you know, here we yeah. go. And these concepts, yeah. these ideas are starting to, you know, a lot of stuff that we've saw coming yeah. as we were these young guys back in the day, yep. but we, yep. I don't know, by our personality or character or what we were exposed to or something and we scratch the surface and you get underneath and you see how really or you run for office and you actually meet these people you're in the green room back when you're waiting your turn to get interviewed of the whatever or you're on stage with some form and everything or you're talking yeah. and they think you think like them and they're just yeah. telling you what kind of scumbag yeah. they are and That's i'm it. going yeah. wow and now yeah you're seeing it happen and i this I don't, is the thing so I think, yeah, it's not like, well, I don't, I'm not speaking for you, but for me, I'm, it's not like I'm some super intelligent genius. It's just that once you start looking for this stuff, mm-hmm. you can't not see it. It's everywhere, and it's obvious, and it's out in plain sight. It's just that you have to actually, A, know that it exists, and B, try to look for it. And most people have not known it existed and did not try to look for it. Now most people are starting to realize something is going on. They're starting to look for it. That's why this information is proliferating and we're starting to see so much more of it. The shines come off of crypto for me, you know, because it's all Mm going to be, now you got all these exchanges. The SEC comes up to them, Security Exchange Commission, goes to Binance and Coindesk and all this kind of stuff, and they say, you know, you need to delist on your exchange everything but Bitcoin, Goldman Sachs.gov coin, you know? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I'm, why the the exchanges were always kind of, in a sense, the wrong turn. What what should have been, and what I always advocated was there needs to be an internal economy of crypto that you start and end the transactions in the crypto. You're not changing back into dollars right. or into other crypto. Right. No, I will do this for for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for Monero, for whatever. You yeah, know, no, I'm, I can, I can that see. Didn't develop. Yeah, I can see silver. Well, what kind of mindset in Japan is there for precious metals? What do they use as barter? Is just debit cards and credit cards? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there are people here who are in the gold bug community. But uh, again, I don't generally meet and talk to the average person. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it is deeply ingrained in the culture here. Um, you certainly you can buy... <laughs> Precious metals, and there are shops for it, but it's not. I don't think there's a thing about it. There is certainly a community, but it's a you know a specialized community. But again, like in the U.S. or elsewhere, it's people who are switched on who know a thing or two. I've met people who've who, who read uh, Creature from Jekyll Island and became crypto enthusiasts. You know, in the so. Western Hemisphere, there anywhere I go, you talk to people. There's always an expat, America, Canadian, mm. whatever. You know, a lot of Canadian too. Um, uh, mm. North American expat communities everywhere around. Is mm. there such a thing in Japan? Don't you have sure, any? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a large portion of the community. In fact, less than one percent of the Japanese population is Western. 
Um, there's and another one percent is Asian, like miscellaneous Asian, ninety eight percent ethnically Japanese. So it's a pretty small community. But yeah, as someone who was a teacher for several years, I know a lot of the kind of the long term expats around here. Well, have you? reached out to them or gone to their meetup or you know had a barbecue oh, yeah, or, no, like I, i'm friends with i'm in bands with uh, some of my yeah, i know that's what friends. i was thinking that all the expats are going to your concert yeah yeah in you fact, get a yeah. wig on you so you can do the long hair thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah generally it involves a hat but i should bring out the rock wig shouldn't i yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks yeah. for, you know, making me feel better. I was really in a funk today, man. I was like, God, mm. the spook state thing. It's just like, yeah. man, it's just so overwhelming, all this stuff. But it's darkest for the dawn. And, and the thing is, and the reason is, is because you're aware of what the real yeah. problem is. And yep. we're up against, you know, could it be, you know, Staten? I mean, you know, yep. I, I still got that. Way. And honestly, people <laughs> trading food on uh, Agris Market is probably the best news we could get today, right? Yeah. No, that's it. And the one thing is um, Mike Swatek is really making use of Bastion a lot. And we're mm. just uh, starting to get into I've been um, one of the guys I've been spending time shoulder surfing uh, on Occupy the Land.org thing and uh, kind of learned that because I got so many things. I mean, God, I got mm. all right, you got to shoulder surf. Zoom, share screen, show me as we're developing, and you know that kind of thing. And because uh, I got a deadline of October, you know, we start like, and I've been taking a lot of pictures of us building the equipment and all that kind of stuff. But I feel yeah. that's where it's going to hurt them. You know, of all the stuff that I've done, yeah, 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 it's yeah, always yeah. been, you know, I always try to get ahead of it, you know, and yeah. uh, they're going to come after me. And when they do, I just, oh, well. Judo, have to use your way to get. Oh, thank you for that, bam! You know, Billy yeah, Jackham. I'm yeah. gonna take the right side of my right foot, put it against the right side of your head, and then you can do better. You know, but yeah. I don't. I make it fun. I try to enjoy it. I make it not drudgery. It's just an attitude I get into. Of okay, well, you know, let's make some progress. But I'd really rather not. I just, I mean, mm, I just, I got yeah. grandkids, man. I get gotcha. you. You know, I yep. just rather not, but I feel obligated because, you know, who else is going to do it? You know, I mean, yeah. it's just not. And you do what you do, which I think you should do longer format if I get educated on uh, Spook State. I want Spook State. It's definitely rattling around in my brain right now. So there you go. All right. Do that. And we'll talk next time about uh, okay. Spook State. And you watch sure. the Good Shepherd. Yeah, I'll have, have I'll have uh, a couple of movies under my belt. Yep, yep, yep. Swordfish and I think it's the Good Shepherd. This is rings a bell. Yeah. Uh, the tumultuous early history of the Central Intelligence Agency is viewed through the prism of one man's life. All right. Boom. That's it. All right. Cool. So we got All that. Right. Thanks for coming Good. and spending some extra time with me because I feel a little better. Thanks. No problem. Appreciate it, as always. All right. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Peace, brother. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I come to fetch you to a meeting. What kind of meeting? The secret kind. Your meetings are a waste of time, Campbell. Your father was a fighter and a patriot. I know who my father was. I came back home to raise crops and, God willing, a family. If I can live in peace, I will. You say you want to stay out of the troubles? Aye. If you can prove it, you may court my daughter. Until you prove it, 
My answer's no. No. No, Wallace. No. Didn't I just prove it? No. 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 This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.